Hey guys, this is Brad and Mike from Dallas Geek, and we are back with our friend David for yet uh, another round table. Friend's a little strong. Well, Brad's my friend. (laughs) 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 But yes, we are back for another roundtable. This time we're going to be talking about the top ten Steven Spielberg movies. Hey, we're live. Yes. Yes, we are. Cool. We are live. We're on silent. I I gotta tell you guys. First of all. I saw a flashing light. (laughs) I'm sorry. Thank you so much to both of you for having me on. Um, I want to tell everybody out there, you need to subscribe. You need to watch these guys. They're awesome. And all of the post-production stuff I was telling you guys before we started is so cool, so amazing. And in honor of me being on here, and we're getting ready to talk about, you both know, someone very dear, close to my heart. Not just because he's also Jewish. (laughs) He's one of my favorite you didn't know. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, with all that, but oh, I, I got to so just start off with this. There's Zimmerman. only there's only sense. one topic that would get me to mimic our friend over here, Mike. Go ahead and who are we going to be talking about today? Spielberg. <laughs> First 30 seconds. Nice. I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's right. First 30 seconds, you got us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, uh, we are totally not doing this because Ready Player One is coming out this week. No, definitely not trying to get on the spiel. Two of us are totally not seeing it tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, with that, our top ten has been ranked in average of what our individual rate uh, rankings were so mm-hmm. there are going to be some arguments as to what got placed where yep uh and what got left off the list yep so um just as a quick let's get it out of the way now the honorable mentions that did not make the list mm-hmm. but do deserve to at least be uh brought up for a second mm-hmm. um obviously you had lincoln uh that was just visually gorgeous it was probably I mean, for me, one of Spielberg's most subdued movies, um, especially with the, I mean, just the way that the camera work was done, it felt very calm by comparison to so much else that he's done. Um, Spielberg does an yeah. amazing job, in, and I would compare Lincoln to another film. Really, Lincoln, The Post, and Amistad mm. have very similar formulaic kind of roads that Spielberg uses, which are much more dialogue-centered than they are visual sensory. It's really audio-sensory in many ways. And he still has great shots and things. But I think Lincoln, I also think that's the brilliance of Spielberg that we'll continue to talk about, which is Mike and I have had this conversation for years, and Brad can start to have this conversation with us and people out there, which is when people say to me, well, David, who's the greatest director of all time? Who's your favorite director? All James these Cameron. kinds of things that come up, right? Um, and the reason that I go back to Spielberg again and again and again and again, and I tell people this, there's a number of reasons, but one of my top reasons is I don't believe that there is another director out there who has been able to make great films in pretty much every genre. And even though Spielberg has a very distinct style with some of his visuals and camera work and lighting, all of that stuff, you if you turned on Lincoln, I don't think that someone who had never seen it before or heard nothing about it would say that's a Spielberg movie. 
Yeah. And I think that's pretty amazing yes. that you could watch that. And I think, but I'm with Lincoln is, is incredible because it is a mastery yeah. of political yeah. conversation and the way it works. And again, like you said, beautifully shot. And well, it's, well, more, I, I love that movie. Well, more than just the acting, the, the way that the movie is color graded and the way that the, uh, the lighting is put in at such a very fine blending between the lights and the shadows uh, really gives it a very almost painted look to it where from scene to scene, every character, you, you have to really, really look. It doesn't have that modern movie quality of the details are just like popping out of the screen because it's just clearly all digital high quality this or that, very sharp this, whatever. No, it was just so well blended together, it felt like you're watching a moving painting. And I have, I've done way too much research on Spielberg. Mike knows this. <laughs> I, I have, I've, they brought me in, and I'm, I'm a Spielberg nut. There are people out there who probably know more than me, but I've done extensive research on this guy, and part of that also has to do with that he brings the same crew. Yeah. He uses the same oh, people. Yeah. So you're talking about the lighting right now. So, and I would immediately say you, Janusz Kaminski, because Janusz Kaminski has worked pretty much every single Spielberg everything you've seen and it's gotten to the point when you read or hear Spielberg interviews mm -hmm. that he will explain that he just has to hand Janusz the script and it's almost like they're thinking with one brain in a sense because Crazy. Janusz walks in and says this is what Steven wants and this is how he wants yeah. to use it and so you see that so in some ways what I said is a little off where someone who doesn't know about it wouldn't necessarily know it's a Lincolnville but people who know Spielberg Look yeah. at it and go, oh, there's Janusz Kaminski because yeah. that's the way that this is lit. And even in this, you know, I, I remember in Lincoln, it was very hard for me to leave Lincoln off the top 10 list, by the way. And yeah. one of the reasons me was too. it was yeah. really hard, but it was because I think what we kind of came to was not necessarily, first of all, any list. These guys made me do something I have never done my entire life which is do a top 10 Spielberg list. But it was wow. our favorite Spielberg movies, yeah. not necessarily the most well done or the most beautiful or the most whatever. It's our favorite. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I my favorites also happen to be the ones that I think are some of his most technically brilliant movies. Um, but I, at the same time, there are a couple that I had to leave off of my list that I'm looking at going, ah, I just, I, I, I need that movie in my life, but I can't necessarily say that it is the most uh, genius piece of work that he's ever done, but it is something that I, I hold very dear. So, yeah. Lincoln is, and, and that's what, and then Mike, you know, you're, you can take over with Lincoln, but I think that something as simple as Lincoln yeah. sitting on a stairwell mm, yeah. or being in a small office room surrounded by two people because of the lighting, mm -hmm. because of the music, because of the just artistic way that he shoots a well, that's, scene, yeah, that's, just changes everything. And it makes what could be if you just read the script yeah. as, oh my God, what is this dialogue that we're looking yeah, at go, yeah. whoa, like that was intense or amazing. Well, like, yeah, yeah. People talking to each other. Well, oh, that's, yeah. And that's kind of the brilliance of it is that the simplicity of it. Is like, hey, we're going to make this as stripped down as possible, and we're going to let the dialogue do the work, but more importantly, we're going to let the actors do the work. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it does, 
It didn't really hurt that he had so many high-quality yeah. actors he was working with in that movie. Um, Daniel Day Lewis um, is Lincoln. He was Lincoln from the moment he was born to the moment he played that role. I mean, he looked like him, sounded like him. But all of them, I mean, it was such yeah. a brilliantly casted yeah. film. And that's part of what Spielberg does so well, too, on top of the directing, is getting the casting down. Because it seems like, like with every movie, dude, I just... There, there are roles that he's that he's casted that like I, I can't yeah. picture anybody else playing. Oh yeah, well yeah. he he understands more than just his actors. He understands the characters of his movies yeah. to such an extent that he already has an idea of this is who should be this person. Yeah. It's never really this is who I want. This is who might be nice. Yeah. It always feels like. His perspective is this is the person that should be this character. Right. And when you see the results and you see how he's able to direct them, it's hard to disagree. And when and where I go when people say to me, why do you think Spielberg is the greatest? Well, I think of stories like, and for those of you who you should go, there's so much stuff out there. And the new documentary on HBO that you can see Spielberg is Two hours and 40 minutes, but it's two hours and 40 minutes that, in my opinion, not only should film students watch and anyone is, but it will make you appreciate not just Spielberg, but film in general more than I don't know if you guys have gotten this. It is. It's amazing. But you talk about a guy in Spielberg who would walk around. He just walks around film locations and in his life like this, people talk about it because that's the way he sees things. But. The reason, and I'm not trying to make a joke here, the reason why I don't put the James Camerons of the world and I don't put the George Lucases of the world and I don't even put the uh, Martin Scorsese's, who I love, on the set, that just that pinnacle of pinnacles yeah, is sure. because Spielberg matches the visual genius mm. with the artistic imagination, yeah. with the heart and the emotion and all of that color comes together and you have a piece of art. And yes. I mean, that that's the thing. He's oh, yeah. an artist. Like, oh, yeah. he's not a director. No. He's not a geek techie guy. He's an artist yeah. and he's changed the world forever. Yeah. And you can just look at that. And that's why when people ask me and they say, man, like, I say, because that's what makes you the greatest. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what makes you the greatest. It's, it's just oh, yeah. amazing. Um, that we can have a top ten list, and you're still sitting there and having to wonder, well, wait, we let Lincoln off the list, or we let ten yeah. other movies off the list. How amazing is that? There is no other director yeah. that you could do that with, no. or that yeah. you would be having self-debates with yourself about, I can't believe I'm going to make oh, yeah. this list yeah. and leave that off. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's so ironic to me that you have so many of your typical film students that will be very pretentious about Spielberg and say, oh, no, you like a Spielberg movie? You're clearly not uh, well-versed in cinema. You're clearly uh, (laughs) just a plebeian here. You don't deserve to breathe the same creative air as I do. You give them the the How I Met Your Mother. Just the, oh, honey. Yeah. And the best is let's sit down and talk. And the best is is that I would turn to them and I'd turn to people like that and I'd say, okay, who do you consider a great director? And other than, and they're going to go down the world, and they're going to give you Fellini, and they're going to go Hitchcock, and they're going to give you all of these big names. But as soon as they start going into the world of modern-day stuff, and after Spielberg came along, I would be sitting there, oh, 
you like Christopher Nolan. Mm. Oh, you like J.J. Abrams. Oh, you think that's very interesting that you find that these directors, and especially some of the newer, you know, ones who are coming out. Abrams did a movie that was basically a love letter An homage to him in Super 8. But it's like, (laughs) well, you realize that half of that stuff that that guy had is taken from original stuff that Spielberg was doing. Oh, yeah. So it, 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 it makes me laugh that people, you know what, you can have that opinion, but at the end of the day, you cannot deny oh, yeah. the greatness and the artistry of the man one way or the other. I know people, and, and the funny thing is, and we're going to get into this, Mike, because Mike's going to bring up a movie that he thinks should have been in the list that's not in the list. And I'm going to bring up to him, and, and you can go ahead. Do you want anything more about Lincoln? Because I want you to get into one of the ones that you want to talk about. Go ahead. ahead. I think we're good. Do you want to? Yeah, I'm good Go with Lincoln. 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 So you got to see Lincoln. Our, our next honorable mention. Go ahead. Uh, that was Just Mike's preference that he fought tooth and nail to try to get on the list. For that, I was. actually had at number three on my list. Yeah. Which was Last Crusade. Had it two spots higher than Raiders. Had it above Jaws. Um, I'm sorry. That's the best Indiana Jones movie to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, now go. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, no. And, and why do you think it's the best Indiana Jones movie? Man, for me, it was... So, we're, we're taking Temple of Doom and we're putting it over here, right? <laughs> and there's things about Temple of Doom. I, I love, know. There, the there there's things, things about really Temple love. of Doom yeah. that I love. And by the way, Spielberg's will continue to talk about it. I don't mind interjecting little pieces that you may or may not know. He was going through a very dark time in his life. Right. And yeah. Spielberg has always... As we'll continue to talk about, he has lots of issues, and we'll talk about daddy Daddy issues, and we'll talk about family issues, and we'll talk about all these issues. He was going through a divorce with Amy Irving. He was in an incredibly dark place in his Mm -hmm. life. He makes Temple of Doom, which is, there is a lot of brilliance in Temple of Doom that people don't want to acknowledge. You talk about lighting, and you talk about the camera. I mean, I could go over some... the scene where they are in the, I guess, what do we call it? The mine train, yep. kind of whatever you want to call it. I mean, that is legendary, legendary. So the guy reaching in and grabbing his heart out. I mean, well, so outrageous, so ridiculous. But you remember it forever. Oh, yeah. oh, the yeah. drawbridge. I mean, there's so well, much stuff. Well, for me, uh, Temple of Doom was one of those films that it's grown on me over time. Like, I started off with it, and I had a very hard time accepting it as a good Indiana Jones film, let alone a good movie, because there was just so much about it that just, it was so... It was a 180. Odd, compared to so much else that he had done, so much else that uh, it felt like Indiana Jones stood for, and I just, I couldn't quite wrap my mind around so much of the concepts behind it. But as I've gotten older, I've been able to appreciate a little bit more about the the visual, uh, the use of uh, certain visual images, the uh, use of certain uh, themes throughout the movie. The, uh, I, I will never say the acting ability of uh, the co-star, but I... <laughs> Leave his poor wife alone, Kate. Leave Kate alone. She was great in Space Camp. I... I, I... <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Leave Kate Capshaw alone. I love you, Kate. See, you can do no wrong. He found love. He found happiness, and they have had literally the 
the Cinderella marriage ever since. They've adopted which all I, his I, kids. Which I will never hold God, against him. And he I, made I, some I of can't. his best work after he met her. Yeah, I, I can't say she's that she's not she the Yoko. She's not the Yoko. I, I can't say that she clearly <laughs> hasn't been some proper muse for him. Yeah, I mean, she's been a great There, there has been a, a significant shift in his work since they've been together. Because uh, the big knock on Spielberg, uh, we got off topic a little bit, and we'll come back to Indiana because I'm going to nail you on something, man. But... The big knock on Spielberg, which this guy always loved to sit there and shout from the rooftop, which was the rom-com. He couldn't make a great romantic movie, yada, yada, yada. He didn't have that in him. And always, David, and always, blah, blah, blah. Which, again, by the way, always, if you want to rate it on a Spielberg scale, you can give it plenty of criticism and say this doesn't live up to it. But after Kate Capshaw, he makes The Terminal. And he, I mean, The Terminal is a great romantic movie. And he, and, and I would argue with you, there's some great romantic aspects and weird ways of Hook. And there's some great, there's some great stuff in there that he's done. And I, I could argue with you that there's a whole list of stuff that he did after Kate Capshaw where you could argue that if that was the part missing from his life that he didn't have with Amy Irving or ever, there's some great romantic stuff in Jurassic Park, some of his more action-oriented films. And in even um, uh, the one that you're going to give me crap on, he's going to give me so much crap on, and I'm about to nail you for this. Go ahead. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We don't talk about that Which I know here. you don't like to talk about. There <laughs> is great stuff in that movie between him and Karen Allen when they reunite and get together. Well, sure. Whether you like it or you don't, well, there's great stuff in there. And the chemistry of them reunites. And, and, that, and it's great. And that's the thing. They, I don't they, disagree, but they just don't shy out of it. They, yeah, they, they <laughs> developed a strong chemistry in Raiders. Yes. And any opportunity to bring the two of them back together was yeah. always going to have some uh, element there. But he did was, some great stuff with yeah. that in that movie with the two of them. That he could have been silly and goofy on and he wasn't. And you can say whatever you want. He did some good stuff, but he now wasn't he goes... silly and goofy in that movie. Here's my, but here's my problem. Okay, so this is a great opening. This is a Kate? segue. Okay, wait. Really? But this is a segue that, was Russian. <laughs> that we didn't even mean to go with. Sorry, we're sorry. Go with now. Natasha was Boris. Okay. Oh God, it's true. Now, I love Kate too. She, yeah, she was pretty bad. But, but, Little. but hold on. But time out. Time out. <laughs> and this is why, Mike, I come back to Raiders versus Last Crusade. And we're going to focus on Raiders more as we go yeah. along. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I love Last Crusade. I think it's the Last best. Crusade is a great Indian. movie. No, it's, I, it's fantastic. It's but. wonderful. I enjoy it. I love it. But here's the issue when you talk about the greatest Indiana Jones movie. And here's the reason why I disagree with you guys on Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Not that it's the best Indiana Jones movie, not that all this stuff. It's because Spielberg and Lucas and Kasdan created a world in Indiana Jones that was silly, that was goofy, that was totally meant to be a archaeologist adventure of finding these old relics that were based on the old 30s and 40s and these things that were like every week you saw and in Raiders of the Lost Ark I can take you down the road of some ridiculous silly moments in that movie with Sala and with the guy that he's going against then I can take you to Temple of Doom where he does a lot of people like to focus in on the second act of that with the darkness and all of the evil and everything and they forget that the first part of that movie Mm -hmm. 
has genius stuff with Club Obi-Wan and all the ridiculous musical interlude and the waiter and the shooting and I have the antidote, you know, to Dr. Jones and the plane ride and he closes the door sure. and then they're in the palace and sure. the famous eating scene and they're all sitting there with the snakes coming out and, and then the, where they find the secret passage and she's running around freaking out oh, with the bugs in her hair and all that stuff and that ties right into... Last Crusade, and there's so much ridiculousness in Last Crusade, oh, yeah. fun no. moments and Definitely. silliness and things that are going on with Denholm Elliott and everything, and walking around going, does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Anybody speak this language or that? So then you go to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and everybody wants to again at that point. I swear point, if you say the monkey scene, I'm going to No, but everyone <laughs> at that point wants to treat Indiana Jones like this holy trinity, like this Bible, like this, taking itself too seriously. And Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Lawrence Caston never took themselves that oh, seriously. I would disagree they very much. They so. did not. I okay. don't agree with that. I think I, the I fans would, took it seriously. I, would, okay, I, I don't think they did. I would disagree to the extent that Last Crusade had quite a few very serious uh, elements yes. to it that if you take it in comparison to the amount of uh, lighthearted elements does make the movie more of a serious film than a lighthearted uh, flick. I think that every Indiana Jones movie except for Kingdom of a Crystal Skull had that balance for the most part. And I think, I think that in Temple of Doom... There is serious, serious stuff going on with this village who's starving sure. oh, yeah. and these kids being enslaved oh, yeah. and all of that stuff going on. And in Raiders of the Lost Ark, my God, I mean, no one had ever used Nazis in a film where you could chuckle a little bit and laugh a little bit at kind of what was going on with that. And he creates that. Mel Brooks in, did it. In what? Mel Brooks didn't, the producers did it, but, but he did it, it in a right. way that was not done in showing the same thing that this guy was showing. I mean, I think that's a fair thing, that, what you're saying. So my comment to you guys is I hear what you're saying, but come on, guys. Last Crusade that I love, it, you have some of the most ridiculous, Ridiculous, laughable moments. But in that. Also There's a hundred and thousand year old knight that's just sitting there waiting for them. You chose poorly. Okay. You want to do a timer? There's yeah, a, you know, like, I, that's just my point. There's moments, she talks in her sleep. I love that, Junior. You know, I mean, come on. Like, there's so much silliness. There's so much But there's also so much seriousness. There is, but I'm saying in Kingdom of a Crystal Skull was a fan movie. He made it because the fans wanted them to come back. He had no intention of doing another Indiana Jones movie. No, no, no. I don't, I don't That's why you stay out when of it. When you look at Last so Crusade, like one of the things you kind of tackled on was the daddy issues, which is yes. A, yeah, oh, but, 100%. But he tackles that very seriously in Last Crusade. In sequences, uh, I would say the biggest moment is the moment where they're in the Hindenburg and he's like talking to him and he's like, well, I'm here now. What would you like to talk about? Right. And then he, the, the moment where, where Sean Connery's basically dying right. and he's doing that all in the penitent man. You see all that. Yes, there is some of that and you see that. But again, you're, I think you're missing the fact that in Raiders and, and, and uh, but Temple I, of Doom and Last Crusade, 
he's having fun spewing. Sure. He's oh, having no, fun. He's not, this, these are not, and we're going to get into the more serious films. He's not, he's looking at it as what he created. Which was Indiana Jones, the swashbuckling, the archaeologist. Sure, Don't sure. take this so serious. And he and and he creates a masterpiece world I, that none of us have ever seen. I and then everyone wants to take it so seriously after that. But then when you, I've always said this: take them out of order. Yeah. Put some of these movies differently, and if you had seen them before, you saw one of the others. You probably would be more favorable to them than you are. So if Last Crusade came before Raiders, you would be sitting there going, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. That's amazing. If you had seen Temple of Doom. No, no, it wouldn't be. But I'm saying if you take them in isolated things, and I've always said that with Spielberg, that you have to be fair to the process of they created this, they did this, and then they do what they want with it. And if if you would never have sat there and watched Raiders Mm -hmm. with the same fine pen, you know, and comb and going over it and going, I'm going to be really critical of what he does here and now because of what my expectations are, because your expectations have been built so out of the stratosphere. I don't think there's anything Spielberg could have done with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm being honest about this. Did he make certain choices that piss people off more than maybe it would have? Yeah, I'll say that. But I don't necessarily think... I think it's a no-win situation. I and I think making another no. Indiana Jones movie, which I know he's going to do Indiana Jones 5 that they're already talking about, and here's what he's done. There's nothing the man can do that's going to satisfy or make you believe well, that it yeah. can live up to the expectations of Raiders mm. or Last Crusade or any... There's just nothing you if can If you do. believe people that read it, you could have gone with Frank Darabont's original script. But you never saw Frank Darabont's original script, it's so you don't know what there, that was. But it's out there. Uh, but you don't know what it was. But Frank Darabont wasn't the genius creator behind this stuff. So who knows what he would have come up with. I mean, th- that's all. That's my two cents. Sure. We've gone over on it. That's my two cents on it. I, I hear you. I think Last Crusade is a great movie. I love Indiana Jones. I, I still think you're being too kind on uh, Crystal Skull. I just give but a It's the, the things- same way why I give a pass when it comes to Star Wars stuff to some of the later films that Lucas did, because I am a firm believer that when genius created his own world, he then gets that extra leeway or her extra leeway to create what they create. Because if you're going to be so critical about that universe that they've made, then you have to be as critical about each individual work. And if I wanted to be critical about Last Crusade, I could sit there and point out so many different ridiculous moments in that movie with him and her. Sure. Uh, sure. The, the scenes in the boats when they're driving with the, they're also, the, the guys coming after them and he's going, go between them. I don't know. Hysterically, at the same time, you have to take into consideration that, especially when you're talking uh, guys at the level of the, you know, uh, Lucas and uh, Spielberg, artists that get to a certain point in their career, you can't just give them a universal pass that says as long as they're continuing to touch something that they've done before, they're always right. I don't because you have every. 
big uh-huh. artist over the course of history has gotten to a point where their ego gets in the way and they get way too uh, full of themselves. And I, they have to be able to be and a lot of a back. lot of I agree. I don't give up, but I don't give them I don't give them a universal pass. I just say that I think we as the consumers and we as the fans have to be more careful in our criticism of them because you guys look, I sat here and listened to the two of you on the pod I was on berate the fanboys for their reviews of Last Jedi and I still feel, I feel like there's a little bit of that in there that you're like, what did you want them to do? What were you expecting? So my turnaround to you would be Uh, what do you want Spielberg to do? What are you expecting? Different kind of thing because you have to come in uh, knowing, uh, just realizing that there were so many elements of that movie that had very clear indications that everybody involved just they didn't have enough people saying no to them behind the scenes. That there were there was a lot of stuff that felt very first draft about the movie, about the script, about every element of it that really should never have been allowed to have made it to the point of filming because somebody should have been in there trying to rein the You're talking about Kingdom of a Crystal Skull? Yeah. Yeah. Just rein the egos back in and say, hey, guys, maybe this is going a little too far down the road. Maybe maybe this is something that... Could it be done better? Could it be done slightly more subdued? I think you and I have talked about this. I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but with Last Crusade, you ended with, you know... It's time for you to face what you truly believe and, you know, the whole, the leap of faith, the penitent man, it's, it's, it's all a big leap of faith and what right. your truly beliefs are. Right. And then you get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and he's like, no, aliens can't exist. Oh, I'm sorry. You just drank from the Holy Grail and you're going to sit there and tell me like, yeah, it's but, totally impossible that. But I also think the message at the end of Kingdom of Crystal Skull, which got lost by a lot of people was genius. What was the message at the end of King of Crystal's Call? Because I bet neither of you picked up. No, I blocked that shit out of my mind. Exactly right. They're family friendly. <laughs> Whatever. What was it? <laughs> do, you, do you remember hey, what the real message show. was? It you got lost on this. Whether you like where you went with it, I thought the message was genius. Because the message that Indiana Jones, through all the first three films, constantly went back to was he was always searching for glory, and he was always searching for fame, and he was always searching for his treasure. And finally, after all of that, he's still the same guy as he goes through each other. Remember, one movie's supposed to happen before, mm. one the prequel. Remember, Raiders of the Lost Ark is supposed to happen after Temple of Doom. A lot of people forget that Temple of Doom was actually a prequel, prequel. Right. correct? Mm-hmm. And then Last Crusade brings it together. Right. And he's constantly in that fortune and glory, fortune and glory, fortune and glory. And in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, whether you like the execution or you don't, whether you like the aliens or you don't, it came down in the end where it was about knowledge. Right, but and already, I thought that was a uh, cool, no, 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 no. cool no, no, no. twist. You don't, you don't get to do that because he already does it at the end of Last Crusade. No, but he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Because at the end of Last Crusade, his father still sits there and has to give him a fatherly talk about, you know, the grail that he, you have to right. let it go. Right. Let it go, Indiana. Let it go. And as they as they ride off with that great biblical text that they go, as they ride off with it, and you have the horsemen and going off on that image, Indiana still doesn't buy it. 
He does it by he believes he's uh, listening to his dad. He's listening to his dad. I don't agree. But I don't all. think he truly agrees that he because he's still looking back there. And then you're, is he is he concerned about her that he lost no, her? No. Is he concerned about no. losing the Grail? No. And he says she never really believed in the Grail and right. believed in it. That was and just a treasure, right? right. But and, and you you're like okay, he has some awareness. But I don't think he's not still, and I think that's proven. I think you're when, too when far it comes into, into it, it yeah. which is so hard in a Spielberg movie. But I think you're, this case, you're reading too far into it. Could be. I, I think yeah. that the ending was meant to be wrapped up the as ending. simply as it seemed. There was. Well, why does he be... still go on the next adventure then? Why does he go on the next adventure? He goes on the next adventure because he still has unfinished stuff to accomplish. At least, and again, that's Spielberg's creative world. So well, I have to go to off the fact that they made another movie. To be fair, that next movie, in the context of that movie, it did seem like he had been out of the archaeology game for oh, quite a while. For a long time. So, working for the because government. He was, yeah, exactly. And, and who's to say that anything that he had done at, between the Last Crusade and Crystal Skull was anywhere near the same level of glory hunting as had right. been happening before. Look, I, I, I continue to say Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is, is not, the other three movies are far superior. They're better films, but I continue to say that I don't think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is as bad as people want to believe it is because it's being held to such a ridiculous standard. And I think you're a much nicer man than me. Yeah, it could be, but I love Spiel. Sure. Well, I also think, like I said, Indiana Jones is the our Last Crusade is the best indie movie. When we I think get it's the most when we get to Raiders, movie. when we get to Raiders, then we'll talk we'll about back. what I okay. think. Yeah, we, we, why so, I think it doesn't match. <laughs> I, I think we've spent more than enough time on uh, indie for a second. Uh, the last two uh, honorable mentions, really, really quickly, because we actually do need to get to the top ten that we said we're going to be getting to. Um, so the last two honorable mentions uh, was um, my contribution, Hook, that I thought. There was so much cinematically that was brilliant about it, um, and there is so much artistic value to oh. the creativity of bringing, essentially, uh, a child's imagination to life on screen with so many elements of that. The most striking to me still is my favorite scene of the entire movie, The Never Feast. I, there, there is so much creativity in that scene that... I can guarantee you, when uh, all of us were kids, the second any of us had to come up with some imaginary idea of what would be the coolest feast, just out of this world feast that would uh, we could come up with, it would probably, if we think back, it was probably something close to that yeah. before we ever even saw that scene. Yeah. So it was just so brilliant in how well they did that. Plus, so. it was a great take on the character. Oh, yeah. Just the kind I of mean, imaginative, like, he leaves Neverland, and he goes, and he gets old. And yeah. I, I watched Hook. I, for years, defended Hook. I think and, it's a, I think and, it's a, and I was very young when Hook came out. That might very be, young the, that might be his movie that gets the least amount of love that deserves so oh, yeah. much better. So much more. I, I, so I think there's so many levels of Hook that, are, that people laughed off. Because in their mind... At the time, you have to remember that when Hook came out, you had this all-star cast. Yep. All of these superstars were in that. Julia movie. Roberts. Robin Williams, Williams. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Bob Hoskins was big oh, back gosh. then. You have um, Maggie Smith, who turned into a huge actress. But it was this, this litany of superstars yep. 
that everybody was, you know, craving and, and, and clamoring over. But the thing about Hook was, if you go back and you watch it now and you judge it just by what it is, yeah. it is so stood the test of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I say that in a bit as a fun little thing because time is what's amazing about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Time is the key in that movie. So first off, people who praise Dick Tracy mm. and the artistic oh, yeah. amazement oh, yeah. of Dick Tracy when Warren Beatty, you should be the same people that are salivating and family-friendly, orgas- orgasming, if that's a word, over... Why wouldn't it be? Hook. Because, <laughs> Mike, because, because I can show you 20 scenes in Hook from being no. in the clock museum to being in the pirate ship in Hook's room to being in the kids' rooms to being in Neverland under the water and the mermaids and the Never Feast and all the things that Brad and Mike are talking about with this that are so genius yeah. from an artistic level and a visual level. And then you mix in, there are so many scenes to me that are some that I would put on some of my top Spielberg well, part, scenes. Part of the reason why it visually stands up to oh, the test of time lighting. is because <laughs> due to the setting that it's in, it doesn't matter that the pirates, uh, that the pirates hideout, the, the village that they have, whatever, uh, looks in certain elements like parts of a stage play. It doesn't matter that... Uh, there are uh, that when you get the uh, the bird's eye view of all of what Neverland is, it feels like you're looking a little bit at a, a miniature model. It doesn't matter because the context is this is a place pulled from your imagination, yeah. and it doesn't need to feel so real. It has to feel like it is something pulled out of the imagination of a kid and that is exactly the kind of stuff that they would be imagining because that's the context that they would have and and so it doesn't need to feel more realistic like so many modern takes on these type of fairy tales are because it's not that but what's great is and this goes back to what you guys were talking about before when you talk to some young film student or something i would turn to them here's a perfect example you like martin scorsese you like gangs of new york you think the Gangs of New York was pretty sensational the way they showed you the five points? Well, guess what? In 1991, Spielberg did it first. Yep. He did it with all of those scenes yep. in Neverland. Yep. Oh, you like that Quentin Tarantino or Scorsese one camera following something all the way through? Mm-hmm. Go back to Hook and look when he's got the hook and he's walking through everything yep. for the first time that you actually see Dustin Hoffman's character as Captain Hook and he does it with one camera and he's following him through the whole yep. city of everything going on. You like all those shots? Because Spielberg was doing it 20 years ago, yeah. 25 years ago in a movie that you don't think is that great. Yeah. And it's all right there for you. And he's doing it all. Well, and that's actually a, a really interesting point right there because Spielberg does have so many great one-shot scenes yeah. that he doesn't make it like obvious. He doesn't throw it in your face that, oh, it's a single tracking shot where we're not going to uh, edit, we're not going to cut, we're not, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to make one camera that follows through a single scene. That's all that is. He doesn't make it obvious, but if you really look, there's a reason why certain scenes feel more natural, feel more organic. It's because of that type of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then the last uh, of our honorable mentions was AI. And 
this one, there's no way you could possibly make it into a top 10 for Spielberg because as a whole, there were a lot of things wrong with it as a movie. But to see someone of the caliber that Spielberg is try to replicate the, the cinematic style, <laughs> style yeah. of, I, I mean, one of the most meticulous and anal retentive directors of all time who just happened to be one of his closest friends. Yeah. I mean, that it was a unique thing to experience. And while it did not come out as a fantastic movie, it came out as a very interesting exercise in artistic creation, especially for somebody who had, was already so, set in his artistic method. Right. Finger. No, I think it's a good way to put it. It was very much, it was a, I guess, homage. Yeah. Would be a really good way to say it. He well, did, it would be he, like watching, uh, it would be like trying to uh, see um, Picasso uh, try to uh, re, uh, reinvent a Pollock. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, time uh, timelines don't really work uh, like that. You know that well for that one, but it, right, it's right. the same concept. No, absolutely, you know, it, it's taking somebody that's so, I mean, just so dramatically different in style, and trying to say, "Hey, why don't you do this? Just, just see if you can." He yeah. he took notes from Kubrick. That's yep. what he had. He had notes. He had tons and tons of <laughs> notes, and he made a movie that if anyone watches would think Stanley Cooper made the film. And a lot of people and, still do today. Yeah. Still to this day. And 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 we will never know. My brother and I, my brother Brian, who's a big film nut and yeah. went to film school and knows this stuff, and he and I have this debate all the time, which is we would love to know as far as certain things with what Kubrick's direction was, how closely he followed some of the plot yeah. lines and the theme lines, but from a strictly visual standpoint, from a mood standpoint, from a tempo standpoint, he did what no one thought was possible, which was to recreate a Stanley Kubrick film. And for me, I actually like AI a lot. I'm a big fan of AI. Some people are not. A lot of people are not. I'm a big fan. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of AI. And I challenge, I will never forget, people who said to me after that movie, you know, it should have ended when they were, if it had been Kubrick, he would have ended it with him at the bottom of the ocean facing the thing and the movie ends and he's trapped down there and the world. And, and you know what I said to someone? I said, you missed the point. I believe that this is possibly, and you guys can roll your eyes or go, what are you talking about, David? I believe the ending of this film is probably the most controversial Epic, incredible endings in film history, let alone in Spielberg's history, and I will tell you why. Okay. The end of the movie is the kid has spoiler alert. He gets his he get David. Thank you very much. David gets his last day. Yeah. And his last day is to be with his dead mother. Right. All these hundreds of years later, after the end of or whatever, and Teddy, and all of this stuff, and it's basically his choice of. That he can bring her back, but she's going to die at the end. Sure. And it's a very cruel choice. Sure. It's a very Sophie's choice kind of a thing sure. when you think about it. And he chooses to bring her back. 
and they have this amazing day and everything he ever won in this perfect day. And what happens at the end of this movie? They climb into bed and Teddy comes into bed with them and she's like, oh, I'm starting to feel tired. And she's clearly going, you know, this is the end and he knows it and everything. And you have this voiceover of, for the first time in his life, David found that place between sleep and dreams Mm -hmm. and where he was. And people walked out and my brother was one who was like, oh, such a... Happy Spielberg little touch of an ending. No. And I went, no way. No. I went, this is dark. Mm-hmm. This is disturbing. It is creepy. Yeah. It is very Kubrick-like in a yeah. lot of what he did. And that ending gets me every single time where I say, this is genius. I said, I can't put my finger on it, yeah. but it is genius. There is genius in those last 10 to 15 minutes of that. Movie. I don't know if Spielberg's ever actually come out and said in any interview um, how much influence Kubrick had on the overall story, especially the ending. Right. But just looking at it, knowing that Kubrick had always intended to do this movie as a uh, retelling of Pinocchio, I don't see that ending as Spielberg's way of trying to put a lighthearted twist to it. No, I don't either. I, I feel that that is the kind of movie that absolute or that ending would be absolutely included in Kubrick's version as well, just because there is so much about it that without it, the story of Pinocchio would not be complete. Right. And right. Kubrick being as, um, j- just as OCD about a complete story and just having a complete vision on film uh, as Except he was. Except for shot. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Still don't as, know what the hell the ending of that movie was. As OCD as he was about does, so yeah. much of that stuff, I just feel that if or that did. wasn't the ending, that he would not have been happy with it because it's the only logical way to wrap it up and still maintain the tone that the movie has had. Right. I, that ending gets me every time. I'm telling no. you, that is a, it is an ending of Spielberg's that you'll never forget. Right. You can say you like the movie, you don't like the movie, but that ending, I put that right up there with so many of the great endings in films that you go, holy cow, what in the world? Like, that was... It's, AI is a fascinating movie. I actually like it a lot, and I always consider putting it on a top Spielberg, whatever, not over those other movies, but sure. when you can do what he did to mimic Cooper, holy sure. cow. Alright, so we ready? We can finally hit our yes. top ten after what's probably been like close to an hour. Yes. Oh, good lord! That's so okay. Hours. That's okay. Jeez. Okay, so uh, number ten on our list officially is Close Encounters. So, everybody okay with this placement? Anybody want to argue it? Why are you looking at me? Because we know you were the one who left this off your list. I did leave this off my list. Explain. It's great. It's fine. I just i I think Spielberg had better sci fi movies, and that's how I kind of look yeah, at it. Sci fi movies, so or better movies, both. So here's the thing. So Close Encounters was such a defining film within the sci fi genre sure, that I have a hard time leaving it off of a top ten list for uh, for Spielberg. Sure. It may not be one of my what? actual favorite movies, but. It just did so much to define the genre. No, I don't disagree, but I had Minority Report on there, which is going to be coming up. I sure. had E.T. on there, which is going to be coming up. Sure. Um, 
I don't know. If, I I consider Jurassic Park to be sci-fi. I don't know about you guys. It's in the realm. It, yeah, it's, right? it's definitely. He's I mean, got some like in there. At yeah. least sci-fi adjacent. Sure. At least, um, if not fully. I I just don't. My my problem is with it. First of all, I think Close Encounters is a brilliant movie. I, it's genius on so many different levels. Yeah. And again, you have characters and lighting and music. Dun 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 dun. dun. I mean, oh no, any any movie that you can. Do that too, and we can do that with multiple movies. And again, part of that cast, part of the crew, we'll talk about yeah. John Williams. I mean, the legend. The, the legend it, that the mashed potato scene, the spaceship, the music. Yeah, Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus in general in that movie is I mean, unbelievable. Was, it's a great movie. It's yeah, a yeah, great it movie, and and I think one of the most interesting things about Spielberg as a person is that he has talked about, we continue to talk about the daddy issues, right? Mm -hmm. And what is Spielberg now? He has famously said that, and and I pose this question to you guys, (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but he has now famously said that if he had made this film now, he would not have allowed Richard Dreyfuss to get on that spaceship. And I think, I I would hope that we can all agree He has to get on that spaceship, yeah, yeah. and it's not the same movie without it. And it's like, thank God, Stephen, that you did not make this movie. Thank God today. for all the daddy <laughs> issues. Yes, exactly. Thank God for all the daddy yeah. issues. But I, it's it's no. There, there are definitely so many of his movies that are what they are because, because of, of his daddy issues. Yeah. I mean, you you want to talk about somebody whose career was made from daddy issues. Spielberg is probably one of the best examples. Oh, uh, and he might be the example. <laughs> Close Encounters is... <sighs> I, I really do think if he didn't have the daddy issues that he had, if he didn't have his abandonment issues that he was trying to deal with at that time, um, there is no way the movie could have been made at all because there is so much about the movie that relies on abandonment issues to push yep. it forward. Yep. And regardless of if he thinks he he could have still done it or not, I personally think that that is one of the defining reasons behind his ability to make it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think Close Encounters changes the sci-fi genre forever when it comes out. Yeah. I think that people were inspired forever by it. You saw copycats. You saw people trying to do the same yeah. kind of artistic, again, lighting yeah. and musical stuff and trying to incorporate that. And I think, no, I, 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 I believe it would be on any list of mine for Spielberg's top 10, but I would also challenge you that I think it could be on any sci-fi list, top 10, top 15 oh, yeah. films of all time. And it, it is on a lot of them, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so brilliant. So, uh, number nine is Minority Report. So, Minority Report is a very interesting... It's very movie. It's The concept is amazing. No, like when you actually think about it, it's solving crimes before genius. they happen. Philosophically, yeah. it is one of... Uh, it might be one of his most philosophically difficult movies to yeah. come to terms with, simply because... There are so many more different daddy le- issues. No, well, yeah. well <laughs> even more than that. No, even higher than I that. I mean, yeah. you go into just the very basic concept behind the technology that they're talking yeah. about in that movie. Um, the it, oracles. It, the, it yeah, is a whole just, level of what should be acceptable. Yeah. Uh, is this okay? How can we do this? If if we were actually given this opportunity in real life, is this something that 
not only should we do, but is it morally right to Plus do it? Morally, it's a very, uh, it might be his, I don't want to say it's his deepest movie in terms of morality, like question morality, but it's, yeah. it's way up there. Because it's, it's more than just the morality of the characters, it's the morality of the concept of, of the story. Yep. Because if you can't wrap your head around choosing, yes, this, this whole concept is morally acceptable, or no, it's not acceptable, the rest of the movie is just kind of outside of your reach for yep. being able to understand or appreciate because the motivations of every character Our require you to have around, an opinion yep. one way exactly. or another exactly. on the overall. And, and you can't get it. And it's a concept that you, there is no middle ground. No, no. It, like it, it presents it in a way that like you are either here or you're there. Yeah. It would have, this been, is how you have to tackle it. It would have been very easy for this to be a big, Visual, you know, like an iRobot, Matrix like spinoff, Wojo, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. Brothers movies, Speed Racer crap, and and it really seriously, it could have been that. That's what I think about. It could have been one of all of those hundreds of just crappy big blockbuster popcorn movies. Oh, yeah. that oh, there was more than enough there, easily. and he again, in his amazing way, mm. is able to take. Both visual, mm-hmm. lighting, sound, music, editing, all of it encompassed in this incredible moral story, exactly. which you guys are talking about, combining that with the father-son stuff and make it also this battle of technology. Is it good? Is, is it, it bad? bad? Where is it leading us? Where do we and remember, when did Minority Report come out? Was that... You're talking about early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken? I think it was 2002, 2003. Two, I mean, uh, it was right after yeah. AI, wasn't it? Yes, and I think... I, I think so. It's... it's Incredible to think about. You, know, you Again, guys complain that I'm always on my phone. Well, well no, you can do it for this. Yeah. Um, I, when you go back and look at when Minority Report came out, again, something else that I think we haven't talked about yet with Spielberg is he's always ahead of the game. Yeah, because the thing is, 2002. 2002. That's right. Yeah. So the thing is that while that movie tonally felt very appropriate for a post 9 11 world, yes, and we don't talk about politics on here usually at all. Mainly because they're wrong and I'm right, but what are you going to do? <laughs> well, it's, it's, okay. Just, it's okay. You guys, it, it's, it's a whole to different can of uh, worms that we just, we, we don't want to open up that, that whole, yeah, no. Uh, but totally, the movie felt very appropriate for post 9 the, the world that we were living in. But, you know, now. even considering that the production of that movie started pre-9-11. Yep. But, yep. If you look at it as a total package now, it would fit in perfectly in today's Mm -hmm. society with the political issues that we're dealing with now, with the social issues that we're dealing with now. It would, uh, you can go back and look at it now, and it would feel like this should be something that could easily come out tomorrow and be perfectly in place for what people would feel like they could connect to. I, I mean, that's so it's, I mean, this is going to be one of those films that you could go back and watch yeah. tomorrow, 10 years from now, yeah. and it would still probably have a relevance in terms of, like yeah, you said, yeah. what the world looks like. And he's yeah. so ahead of the curve. Yeah. He's always, that's, that's one of the things he does. You can go back and watch Spielberg movies, and they seem to age, for the most part, extremely well. Yes. Yeah. There's and a good more CGI rebels. than his norm, but even then... Stylistically, it still fits. And, you know, he got this one with Tom Cruise right and not the other one. Well, yeah. 
another movie that we we will avoid on this list. It, it didn't even make our honorable mentions. I feel like David has a different opinion. No, 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 no. They're talking about War of the Worlds, and I, I again, I think he was again doing an homage in that and a a film where he was trying to be respectful to a genre and to a different time and things. And again, there's, I I don't think it worked out that well, but again, there's moments, there's scenes, there's things in there that are pretty powerful and awesome and stuff that only Spielberg can pull off. There's the same thing in Michael Bay movies, but we don't talk about those. (sighs) We will be though. He's on our list. No, we're not. Are we really? Michael Bay is on our list for Know Your Directors. I will definitely be watching them when they do that. (laughs) So you're doing that one, you're doing that one solo, right? I love that. But that and Snyder, we've already agreed there will be drinking. So. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm really <laughs> tuning in for that. One. It will be drinking. <laughs> so yeah. But um, I liked Bad Boys. I, I have no problem with Bad Boys. Actually, Bad Boys Two, honestly, is one of my is one of my guilty pleasure action flicks. There you go. Uh, I, I I genuinely See, enjoyed I, number two. I hated The Rock. I know you've got major problems. That's, really, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, uh, really, you, got, you have problems. You can't hate the Rock. Anybody who hates Cage. the Rock, just move even, over. Even with yeah, Cage. Like, move it's, over it's got Nick Cage, and I don't move like it. There. Think about that for a second. Jeez, okay, yeah. picky man. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, do we have anything else that we want to say about Minority Report before we move on? No, okay, we tackled it pretty well. So the next uh, number eight on our list is eight. one that is it's very. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, n- number eight on our list is one that is very... It's a tough I mean, you, you want to talk about something that was so artistically well done. Um, well, Munich. Yeah. Munich. Oh, my gosh. So, um, uh, something just happened. Oh, uh, that would be camera number two needs to be reset. Right, I'll take over from yes. here, then. <laughs> All right. So, so camera Munich, number two died. Um, Yay! Where do we begin with Munich, man? So artistically, yes, it's a beautifully shot movie. Um, it's a very God. <laughs> you want to take over, David? Yeah, I can't. I mean, <laughs> this Munich, is... Munich is one of my favorite Spielberg movies of all time. I, it's just it's it's I, a tough movie. I like to look at Munich um, as, in a way, and this is going to be probably interesting to you guys. I look at it as the third of three movies. I look I know at what the, the first, first one. Is the, the, yeah, I, I know what you're. I think well, I know where you're going. Tell me where I'm going. Uh, the first would be Schindler's List. Okay. The second would be Private Ryan. Ryan. And that's in many ways, I feel like Munich is the finality of that trilogy. Right. Because hmm. I think that you see, you see the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and you see this this persecution and this group going on. You see the message of, okay, now the Jews have been persecuted. It's very personal to Spielberg, and they're now fleeing. And then you see, and they're supposed to be able to go to this place where they find safe and freedom and to start this stuff, and they're not going to be persecuted anymore. They'll always have a place to go. Then you have Saving Private Ryan. It shows you how this freedom, how this liberation, how this war was fought to free us all from the possibility of that. And then you get to Munich and Munich is now we're 20 to 30 years later and you've got, and you've got this incredible 
okay, now you have this state of Israel. Now you have this place that Jews are supposed to be able to go and have freedom in. And now, oh, but by the way, the whole Palestinian conflict with them and what do you do and how do you deal with this? And it all comes full circle because what you realize is so many of the political questions that were there in the beginning are still there when you get back to Munich and Munich of course ends with the shot of the towers Mm -hmm. and the terrorism that still exists and how none of us, how we're still having these same battles and fights today. And what blows me away about Munich is like you guys were talking about, first of all, the way he takes what basically is a 60s, 70s, way of shooting film Mm -hmm. the style the way he did it with the costumes and the cars and the lighting and taking you through the streets and all these different things it's so well done it's so Spielberg in so many ways and he can recreate that but then you add into that again holy cow the pacing of the film oh my gosh the moral questions that come up Wow, the music and the tone and the setting for everything he does. And then you basically have one of Spielberg's most controversial films. Because he, as a Jewish man, decides with Tony Kushner, who had said some anti-Zionist stuff, and we don't have to get into all the political stuff, but the Vengeance book that Munich is based on by George Jonas that I read, that does not necessarily take what lots of people like, which is a pro one way or the other stance and likes to look at both sides as having fault. Mm -hmm. Spielberg dives into that with Kushner and they refuse. And there's that great scene in Munich where Avner, Eric Bana's character is talking to the Palestinian character and he doesn't realize he's Mossad and Israeli and he's, and they're a safe house and they're in the safe house together and they've no idea. And they have this whole ideological conversation about, you know, you can't win. And he says, we have lots of children and the masses are going to keep on coming up. And it's to me, it is Spielberg growing up. It is yeah. Spielberg finding his maturity to say, I don't pretend to have all the answers for you as a film director. Okay. I'm presenting to you the questions, right. the sides, and you yourself have to figure out. And he keeps that tone throughout the movie okay. where, again, what's the last scene? Avner and Jeffrey Rush, Eric Bond and Jeffrey Rush's character saying, come on, you know, I think his name, I'm, it's escaping me. And I don't love the movie. Jeffrey Rush's character, he says, Come, uh, I think it is, or something like that. And he says, come break bread with me. Isn't it say somewhere, you know, stranger or whatever. And he says, no, I can't because Abner refuses to come back to Israel. He's lost his luster for that. And he's like, I'm not going with you. And then again, the shot of the towers at the end, which is, have we solved anything? Did we do anything? All this. It's so brilliant. But I think Spielberg's maturity in this movie, and again, the tie-in to those other films that he has made, there is a connection. There is a universe that I think he was trying to bind together in that, Maybe which is very fascinating. To, yeah, no, 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 no. I shared that, that. That view is shared by a lot yeah. of people that shows you that. This is, hmm. this is all we've been building. This is all we've been fighting. This is all we've been doing. Wait, you're telling me you still don't have the answers? No, 
I don't have the answers, and I don't profess to have the answers, and none of us really have the answers. We can have opinions, but we don't have the answers, and I love that about Spielberg in this movie. I, I love that. I think, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, so one of the more unique elements of uh, Munich, uh, especially when you compare it to every one of his other films, is something that he is so well known for is the soundtrack, that every scene, uh, the emotion has a tendency to be dictated by the score. Munich is one of the few examples that you can find where the emotion of the scene is not dictated by the score so much as the overall sound design. The sound design is actually probably more important in this film than any other film of his, simply because he chooses to have so many more musically quiet scenes in it, so you have to be able to have context of okay. So uh, you have this uh, the scene that um, starts off being shot, focused on the balcony, but you're hearing the sounds of the street. One of the great scenes the ever shot. Camera is coming back and coming back, and all of a sudden you start uh, to realize that the sounds of the street and the sounds of people talking are on the street and in the car in front of the building, yep. and then you get to see, oh, that's the real focus of the scene. Or when uh, they are... And it's all from Avner's point of view as he's seen it happen in front of him, yep. from the phone booth, as he's ringing the phone, doing the whole thing of, oh my god, like, it's crazy. He puts you in the movie. No, I was, I was thinking actually of the, the night scene. Uh, oh, you're thinking what? of the scene with the, with the couple next door. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of the little girl well, scene. And that, that's the other one, though, where... Is going back and forth between the two, uh, the inside of the building with the girl and the outside. Because he has that too with the street and the yeah. cars. He mimics that. Yeah, he does that twice. And you're uh, you're always hearing the opposite of uh, what you're actually looking at from the sound, so that you're getting context for what the whole picture is, and you're never lost in what's going on. You're you're never. Following the girl and forget about the danger. You're never uh, watching the guys in the car right. and forgetting about the girl. It's always connected, right. and uh, even some of the more subtle scenes of just them sitting in a room together talking is just so subtle and subdued, and you don't have that score to really push and uh, give a, you know lead the audience. You are forced to actually pay attention to the conversation. Right. You're forced. To pay attention to the actual mood right. of the scene, Oof. and it makes also, such a it's difference. It's a topic that's so heavy, and the way that he presents it too was so brilliant. In that, like, like you said, he wasn't a guy that was presenting like I know the answer of what's morale, like what's morally right, right. and what's morally wrong mm-hmm. between what these men did and everything like that. It right. was this is what I'm putting out there. You guys need yeah. to figure it out. People for got yourself. very angry at him for doing that right. and not taking a stance. But it was absolutely brilliant. The way he's like, I am telling the story of what happened. It's up to y'all to determine whether or not yep. this is was, was the right thing or was not the right thing. And what you're talking about, Brad, is so true. He builds those scenes with just the pace and the suspense. And it is all just done, like you said, through natural sound and these camera shots yep. and these... it's. Yeah. It's brilliant, and it's 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 something that we've seen him do in other work and in other films, and it's something yeah. that really he is the master of. Yeah. I mean, he is, and he shows you again, right? Back to my initial thing of what I try to tell people when he's my favorite director. He can do it in so many different ways. There is not a Spielberg style. Yeah, right. There is a Spielberg style, oh, no, but yeah, he absolutely. is not... He is not 
handcuffed to it. Yeah, and if you uh, have not seen our video, on uh, our Know Your Director video for Steven Spielberg, to be able to understand what the Spielberg style is, definitely worth go, uh, going to check out because we do actually talk a lot more in depth there about these are the interconnecting things that make the Spielberg's uh, cinematic feel. Mm -hmm. These are the elements of his cinematography that uh, are kind of universal. Um, And while he may have certain changes for certain movies or certain genres, there are uh, very specific elements that will be interconnected across the board, almost religiously for him. Um, So yeah, definitely uh, go check that out, but not not, not now. Finish this and then go check it out. but yeah, uh, in fact, uh, another movie, the the number two movie on our list was another one where sound design oh, yeah. over uh, score yep. was a very important thing. Yep. But um, to move on uh, to the, our number seven, uh, Catch Me If You Can. So, Catch Me If You Can, uh, obviously oh, one of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's best films. Um, Should have got the Oscar, but you know. I mean, the chemistry between him and Tom Hanks was just incredible. And Christopher Walken. And I mean, it's all just amazing. And then it comes back to earlier what we were talking about was the casting. Yeah. Like with Spielberg, it's just, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever watched a Spielberg movie where it was like, no, I don't think that guy was right for that character. I don't think that actress was right. No. Yeah. Like every time I watch a Spielberg movie, I'm just like, wow. He always gets the best people for the job. And one of the most fascinating things about Catch Me If You Can was, and I don't know if you guys caught this, I never knew that. Everyone talked about, again, the daddy issues, Spielberg abandoning, Spielberg's dad abandoning, abandoning. But we find out in the Spielberg documentary, which I never knew, that what he threw into Catch Me If You Can, the part that is not like the book, and it is the movie, what he threw in was his, in in the movie... Christopher Walken, who is Frank Abagnale's father, right? He's Frank Abagnale Sr. Mm-hmm. His wife takes off with his best friend. Yeah. And that is what Spielberg's mother did. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Huh. Spielberg's, everybody thought Spielberg's dad was the one who abandoned him. It wasn't. Huh. Spielberg's mom hmm. took off with Spielberg's dad's best friend. And they went and lived a life together. And the craziest part was, is that Spielberg's dad remained friends with them. And is still to this day, he has passed on the stepdad. Spielberg's dad and mom, they have them in that documentary. Spielberg sitting there together. And he's like, she was still my best friend and I still loved her. And that was a little thing he threw into Catch Me If You Can based on his own childhood, which I had no idea oh, no. until recently. It's I, fascinating. I, I was completely unaware of that. It's com- yeah, it's a, that, that's all in that documentary. And, and so again, throwing his own daddy stuff, throwing his stuff in there. Catch Me If You Can, again, man, you talk about just from the opening credits alone. Yeah. Oh, the my way gosh. that he does the credits. Oh, the, the style with, of the credits oh, was probably... Gosh. I that that was probably one of the best parts of the movie that set up expectations for the movie because it had so much it had so much soul of the time period that it was capturing in it that it automatically set you up to feel yeah no I I already know the, uh, what I'm supposed to be feeling going into this I, I I get the time period I get the context just because of the uh, that opening uh, sequence. And and the music. I oh, mean, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Oh. again, such a simple yeah. 
It's such a simple, the notes on the piano by John Williams, back at it again, what he does. It, that movie is so good, and it's like you talked about, the chemistry between Hanks and DiCaprio, yeah. and Walken, and all of that. It's, it's brilliant. It's Which, brilliant. You know, uh, speaking of the casting, um, if any other director had done this movie, everybody would be talking ex- almost exclusively about the chemistry between DiCaprio and Hanks. Yeah. And that would be fine. But because... All of the other supporting characters were so well. So good. Amy Adams. Was Amy, so Adams. Good. Yeah, Amy, Amy Adams is fantastic. Martin Sheen is so good. And Amy Adams, uh, with this, this was uh, relatively early on she in was her young, uh, yeah. career. As usual, um, Spielberg finds them, and, and the next works. thing you know, they become superstars after that. It's, yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible. With? Come on. <laughs> We're not even going to get into that. No, Catch Me If You Can, it's a great movie. I I love it. And again, like you said, I I don't know, as Brad was saying, I don't know. That was one of the first movies where I sat there and I gave DiCaprio credit and said, this guy's pretty good. I wasn't up until that point. I was like, all right, he's done some good things or whatever. Really? Yeah, I really up until that point. You're not a Titanic fan. I'm a Titanic fan, but I'm not a Leonardo DiCaprio acting in Titanic fan. I feel like there are a hundred people that could have played that role and anyone could have done it. I don't think there was a lot of depth. I don't think there was a lot of range. It's, it's I, I, neither. I see Mike's soul I know. Mike knows. Mike knows. Just hanging out over here, man. Just hanging out. Uh, 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 never let go, Rose. This is where we first met Jack. I, I just can't. I can't. There's so much crap in that. And I have respect for Titanic. And I like Titanic, and I get it. But again, for me, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Catch me if you can. Were some of the first films where I really saw DiCaprio step out of himself, play something that I wasn't expecting, and thought this guy has well, like, got something. That's part of the brilliance of Spielberg too. Is like, who would have thought to cast DiCaprio in this film? Like right. with what he had done before, right? Exactly. And he has to yeah, play it, such it a young kid and go into the. No, not at yeah. all. And I think that again, Spielberg. Look, if you love DiCaprio, you got to give Spielberg credit because without that role, without that range, who knows where DiCaprio's career goes? He could have stared down a whole career of much more. Blah, wishy-washy, big blockbuster. We're gonna go by the way of a Will Smith and things like that. Well, you know, the, the, the two I, big I movies think. that he had uh, had to his name before. Uh, you had Titanic and you had Romeo and Juliet. Right. And mm-hmm. if those we have been talk about Romeo and Juliet, man. if those have been the two main points of context that most other people had right. for his aside going, from what's eating Gilbert Grape, but people it, had forgotten that because he was so much younger. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. it would have. It, yeah, it very much could have uh, sent his career in a different direction. Um, but no, the, the know, Catch Me If You Can was a whole. I'm about to say, the greatness of Catch Me If You Can too is the whole like, you know, how much longer can he get away with it? At what point does he start to get caught? Yeah. You know, he starts fumbling on this stuff, and then you've got Tom Hanks who's leading the task force that's like right on his heels, and it's well, and in some ways you're rooting for him to get away, right? Yeah, oh, which right. is so fascinating because right? he has well, it's, not, it's because he's such a like he's such a likable person right. and like the charisma that he. Like you're like oh like and I already know really why you and I already know why you guys love that movie because that he uses one of his aliases the Flash. I already know. Why. I, I, I'm sure you guys both watched. Actually, like, for me that was just a side note. That was just, but, uh, <laughs> no, the, the, I'm glad that you got that. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did. I also found it very uh, unique that so many other movies of this uh, style of this genre, this cat and mouse uh, yeah. thing, um, before it usually took the idea that either you were rooting 
for the criminal or you're rooting for the cop. Right. You were never rooting for both. Both. And yes. uh, in the end, there was always one of them was clearly the villain. In this movie, there wasn't really a villain. It was the situation that was more villain than any of the characters. The characters, you just kept wanting to follow. You you, you were rooting for it to all just keep going because yep. you you enjoyed the dynamics. The whole night I'm going to have in my head. Dun, 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 That's going to be in my head. I mean, that's what they do to you. That's what it does to you. It's a great movie. So our number, was it, six is E.T., so, E.T., um, definitely just, oh, what, what exactly can you say about E.T. that hasn't already been said a million times at this I'll point? I'll be right here. A million and one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know what's interesting is, as, and for you guys, you know, I'm a little older than you guys, but I can tell you that. Not by that much. Here man. we go. But I, <laughs> I, I can tell you that when I was growing up, um, E.T. was really, there were, you know, for my parents' generation, mm-hmm. it was Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. For, you know, people that in between that, you'd probably say, you know, they would talk about the Godfather. Um for at least for me as a kid growing up, E.T. was the one. E.T. was the one that everyone, you know, there were 10th anniversary editions and five year and 20. And it was everybody had an E.T. doll oh, yeah. and everybody talked about it. And it became like Spielberg's every five year Spielberg re-releases. Yes. And, 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 and it became Spielberg's Amblin logo. Of his company yep. that he started with the bike through yep. with the ET through the moon. And I just it's one of those films that is so iconic. And it's tough because you go back and watch E.T. And I love E.T. Yep. But I will say that I think E.T. might be one of his films that has not aged as well as some of the others. Interesting. I think that's fair. I, I, I go back, and I am probably more critical about it. Now, it will always go on my top ten list. Sure. If I'm making one of Spielberg, it was always a movie that if it's on television, oh, I stop, I watch it. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to do it. But I think that you watch that, you see that, some of the effects blow you away. Some of them don't work as no. much nowadays. Okay. And I so it's think, the visuals that don't hold up as well. I think part of the visuals, I think part of the acting is weak at times in this movie. I don't love the mother necessarily. I think Drew Barrymore is very cute. I think the brother's fine. I think Henry Thomas is great. No. Uh, well, the that's E.T. Thing. You're stuff. not supposed to love the mother, though, because the, the whole thing with the uh, E.T., is is all supposed to be about the kids, right? And right. the mother's the only adult that before the end of the movie you actually get to see her face. True, that and I and I'm just talking about, but I'm talking about movie are are meant to be you know right. kind of ignored. Right. Or, uh, I'm talking about adults. acting though. Well, I mean, acting, even then, whatever. even um, then, uh, acting wise, she was never meant to be uh, somebody that had a lot to work with. <laughs> right? No, that's true. So. I, I, it's just I, I, look, ET is magical. And there's still moments in it that are magical. Sure. I and 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 like I said, I have incredible respect for it. I do think though that as Spielberg continued to work and he continued to show us his stuff, I think that you can go to the movies that he did before E.T. Mm-hmm. and those films have stood the test of time 
in a better way. I'm not to say that E.T. is still not great, but I don't believe, let's put it this way. I can sit down and show just about any of my nephews and nieces Jaws. I can sit down and show just about any of my nephews and nieces Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they will see the brilliance in it and be captivated by it. When I sit down and show them E.T., I think they like it. I think they think it's fun and it's entertaining, but I don't think they can understand the phenomenon of what that movie caused Mm -hmm. because of the movies that you've had come after it. When you look at this generation's Harry Potter or you, you know what I mean? When you look at, because E.T. was Harry Potter. E.T. was the Wizard of Oz to that generation. E.T. was the end all and be all. That's what kids it was E.T. I mean, Atari went under because of it in many ways. We don't have to go into now. But it's... it's, Ooh, it's well, yeah, it's, to be fair, a lot of that on Atari. Oh, I know, but I'm saying that is... I mean, but E.T. was built around Jeez. that because of what it well, was in the was iconic also, standpoint. So E.T. was also, I think... I don't know if you'll agree with this, but for me, it was the first Spielberg film, I think, that really hit me emotionally. Oh, without a doubt. Like, that just really was trying to just absolutely tear your heart out. Tear your heart out. Just show it to you. But see, for me, Close Encounters did a lot of that. Yeah. Close Encounters did a lot of that. That was great, Mike. That was very good. Nice. Close Encounters did a lot of that, though. Close Encounters had that emotion. But look, E.T. is is an amazing... I just... That's just my little commentary and perspective of that when I go back and watch E.T. while I still love it, I go... And visually and some of the stuff sure. I'm like I just don't know if it stands at I don't know that's just my my thought interesting one of the only Spielberg movies I feel that way about still love it still love it still better than a lot of movies this guy likes anyway <laughs> wow especially Green Hornet um, or Lantern either one either of the Green movies either of the Green movies <laughs> wait are, are you a Green Hornet fan? Had its moments. Oh okay. my god! Oh my god! Mike, get made fun of for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This guy's talking about Green Hornet. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you go into that movie knowing what you're getting. Yeah, I see. You know. See, holding it to a different standard. See, oh, right. that was uh, my point. Was just, the defense rests. <laughs> and I, I'm sure I can't go into great detail about it, but there was a fantastic South Park episode that was done that tackled. What they did to Indiana Jones. I'm sure. I'm just pointing out yeah, that was what's not going to move on. Yeah. We got to get through our list. Uh, okay, so um, number five uh, was Jurassic oh. Park, and this is actually one that I have to argue with the placement simply because it was my number one mm. on my list. That's because you have two um, choice and taste. Wow, very interesting. So I, I'm I'm fascinated, Brad. Why number one? So for me, and why not Jurassic World at number one? I do like Jurassic. World, oh, but that's it. That, let's no. just stop there. Or 1941. <laughs> There is a place for love for 19. I actually really did like oh, yes. Yes. For me, Jurassic Park was number one, uh, or should have been, because uh, <laughs> it, it redefined the special effects side of cinema. It was a movie that, like Star Wars before it, uh, if it hadn't come around, there would be so many movies that we have now that could not have been made because of the technical advancements that Jurassic Park was responsible for. Um, And because of those technical advancements, even though some of the CGI doesn't hold up as well over time, 
all of the animatronics do, oh, yeah. and it made it feel so tangible. It made it feel so real, and it's just it, yeah. it had. While uh, you can never say that the acting was you know uh, Oscar worthy, you can never say that the story was Oscar worthy. You can always say that it was a movie that redefined the technical side of cinema. And it was a movie that redefined, honestly, the science fiction genre because of the things that they were able to do with the story and be able to prove that you could do and do well that were previously considered to be relegated to the cheesy B-movie stuff. Sure. And well, through this movie, Spielberg proved that you could make an A-list movie and do it well with all those elements and not f- uh, fall back into that B-movie uh, kitsch. Well, it, was very much, it was very much science fiction based on science fact with the way that they went about it. Like, you, you walked into, yeah. or you walked out of it like, yeah, it's a pretty realistic way that they actually could have done it. Um, but like you said, the special effects are what really drive it home. The fact that they made like a 20-foot tall T-Rex. <laughs> and we're oh. they're controlling it during and yeah. that iconic scene of where she's got the light on in the car and it kind of goes down there and you just see the eye dilate oh, like that's an actual anima- oh it's like one of the great scenes and then you've got a giant robot t-rex ripping a car up and everything like that and you're looking at it you're like this looks pretty damn real like well, this is absolutely incredible i mean and then you find out that oh yeah they made a 20 foot tall t-rex and then <laughs> it kept malfunctioning while they were trying to do the shooting because of all the rain and everything like that like what very much what he did with an earlier movie of his that's coming up here yeah well i mean in you, a couple you, of films but you want to talk about but him um, being so ahead of the curve of like where everybody's going all digital all digital all digital yeah he's like no 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 no. let's take a step back we're gonna to try to make this look as real as possible Spiel- yeah, by making something tangible and you want to talk about part of the spielberg style um you know we talked about before the uh his reliance on facial expressions to be able to promote uh the emotion of the scene and this movie so much uh, just pulls that in every chance it gets. But more importantly, it does what has been deemed the Spielberg shot of the slow mm-hmm. zoom in on the face before showing what they're reacting to and really making sure that it is emphasizing as much as possible the emotions of the characters, the emotions of the actors. Plus, like, how many, iconic, just, like how many iconic shots are in that movie? I mean, the, the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. He yeah. replicates getting it with the T-Rex in the mirror as the Jeep's pulling away and the, the T-Rex is clicking of water from the, the cup of water with the little imprint, the, the, the footprint zo- and the, the water the zoom in on the eye when the, dy- when the, when the light hits it and you see just the, oh. Before that, the zoom in uh, on everybody in the car uh, when they first get to the park, yep. before you even see the dinosaurs yep. to, uh, to begin with, it's just, I mean, you want to talk about one of the best reveals yeah. in cinematic history. That w- if Dude, that, and, that is the way to do a visual reveal. And I know it's that not scene their right reaction. And I know it's not his top ten, but John Williams again. No, this uh, score too, where oh, especially with the reveal and then the score comes score. in. And all. Of all of his movies, I mean, of all of his movies, Jurassic Park, to me, is the perfect showcase of a John Williams work in that if it hadn't been for John Williams work, half of the movie 
could not be as well tied together Plus, we as always, it was because it felt like uh, John Williams' score was it was the lifeblood of the scenes. It just kept swelling the yeah. emotion just as much as the actual actors and their uh, emotional expressions. I also think that, look, we're talking about the fact that people had tried. Spielberg brought dinosaurs back to life. Mm-hmm. And he brought, you know, the big thing in the movie, oh, you know, 65 million years apart, humans and The man takes dinosaurs, puts them on the screen. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the cheesiness of the original Godzilla movies and those monster movies. This wasn't wasn't the silliness of, even though I I love those movies, this wasn't the silliness of the old monster movies and the old original film stuff with the attacking of this and that. Or, you know, whatever you want, it came from another world or any of these other things. It's Lost World, the original Lost World. I... He creates it and he makes it real. And you believe there's never a moment. And and the man made this movie in 1992, 93 is when it came out, right? It's right around. I think it's it's 91. Is it 91? Somewhere around there. I know it was the summer. I, I thought it was 92 or 93, but no, I could be wrong. 93 is but, the same um, year as uh, Schindler's List. Yeah, it's the same yes. year as Schindler's List. Yes. It's the summer of Schindler's List. But I, I just, you watch it now. 25 years later. And it holds up. And the dinosaurs look just as real. Like you were talking about that you watch it on 4K. And it's still. I've never seen it. There are certain certain elements of the CG that uh, it it stands out, but all the animatronics, even in 4K, really feel so real. Uh, And you don't see it in 4K, uh, you know, just that, that really high def. Uh, image and say, oh yeah, now that, that that's a puppet. No, you don't feel that. You right. feel that. Nope. Oh crap! That dinosaur is mauled to death by that big ass dinosaur. Yeah, that, that dinosaur is about to eat them. That 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 guy actually just got killed uh, by that dinosaur. You don't feel like, oh, that was just a really cool puppet. And and let and let me go a step further, which is this is one of Spielberg's most unique qualities, and and I would challenge either of you to find me another director that has done it as many times as he has. And this is why I have a lot of hope for tomorrow night, even though I'm not, I'm still very nervous. He, he has taken Spielberg multiple books that I love and translated that I went into thinking there's no way. Okay. Like there's no way. Like I am so nervous. I'm so worried. I'm so concerned. I love Jurassic Park, the book by Michael Crichton. Yeah. I think you can argue any day of the week Spielberg's piece of art is better than Crichton's book when you look at the full picture. Well, and I love it. Crichton he does an ama- Correct. No. And he does an amazing job, Spielberg, right, Crichton's involved. And he does an amazing job yep. of connecting and putting what you read on paper mm-hmm. onto the screen almost the way you envisioned it, which is crazy oh, to wow. think about. And then he goes a step further. Remember, in the Crichton book, the whole connection with the birds was not there. Spielberg did that from the beginning of the movie to the end shot with the whole connection with the birds yeah. that he comes back to in the movie. Yeah. And he did the same thing with another movie we're going to talk about in a little bit where I yeah. think he far surpassed the book. Oh, yeah. And he's done it multiple times. Yeah. That is so hard. The whole Our whole lives we grew up with what? Not as good as the book. 
It's just not as good as the book. It'll it's never be as good as the book in our imagination. Yeah. And the book's better. The book's better. The book's better. Yep. I argue with you. He's one of the few directors in the world that you could make the reverse argument, or at oh. the very least, say. At least the movie was as good as the book. Oh, like, yeah. That's really impressive. Easy. And Easy. what a quality. Like That's so, one of the biggest compliments I could ever give to Spielberg. So on the technical side of this, there are four movies uh, to me that, for modern movies, were the defining moments where cinematic technology uh, had such significant jumps that it redefined what was possible in movies. Uh, the first one was Star, uh, the original Star Wars. The second one... Uh, was uh, I believe this came out before uh, Jurassic Park, but uh, you kind of have to take them, uh, the two movies together, uh, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, uh, because of the advancements in practical effects with puppetry that they were able to do. The third one was Jurassic Park, and the fourth one was Avatar. Those four movies in the uh, the realm of modern uh, cinema were the four defining moments that the technology. That the technology behind uh, cinema advanced at such a significant amount for the sake of that one movie that no matter what your opinion of those individual movies, cinema as the a only whole one I would, would not in, be right. the same without And I'd probably throw in T2 on that yep. because of the sound... Uh, the sound and what happened with the CGI and yeah. the sound thing after that yeah. changed the world Which for, came out for a, a long time. Which year after this, didn't it? Wasn't T2 94? No, no. T2 was uh, 92 or 91, I believe. I don't think it was that. I thought it was earlier than Jurassic. I thought it was around. It was earlier. No, T2 was before Jurassic. It was earlier. It was definitely, yes. It was definitely before Jurassic. I'm almost 100% sure. I feel like T2 might have even been 91. I don't think it was that early. I feel like T2 was 91 or 92. It definitely was before Jurassic. It was early. I have no doubt it was before Jurassic. It was 91. 91. That's what I thought. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's why I would throw T2 in there also. But you know, you're you're completely on yeah. the right path. And I've never disagreed with Avatar's technological advances, as as I think I like the way Brad put it. Now, regardless I, of how you feel about those movies, I have no problem acknowledge the 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. visual stuff and the. Uh, I have no problem stuff. acknowledging that Avatar is essentially just a really, really, really expensive remake of Fern Gully. I have no problem acknowledging or Smurfs that. or dances with Smurfs, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, you know, any but, one of those. It is an unoriginal piece it, of. Okay, I actually visual liked masterpiece, it. but unoriginal. I liked it uh, for a lot of reasons. Okay. I, I, I will never say that it is one of the best movies in cinema, but I will say that it is the most visually, or one of the most visually stunning. I agree. And yeah, so right. uh, to move on yes. to our number four, we are almost in our top three. Yes. Uh, so number four, we've already touched on quite a bit uh, before, so we can probably shoot through this a little bit quicker. Yeah, we can. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you're ready for me to tell you why Go I ahead. think that Raiders of the Lost Ark is... So Raiders of the Lost Ark, again, he took this serial watch-a-movie-every-week cliffhanger kind yeah. of idea, this simple idea of this archaeologist. He, from the opening moment of the Paramount Mountain that he turns into the, the scene of where they are with the mountain... To the boulder. Yeah. To the statue scene with him and the the deal going Start the down. Play. Again, when oh. you focused on the zoom in shot oh. and the tension building yeah. and oh, and John Williams oh music stuff and everything. To there are there is just so much you can go on and on and on in that film from 
the scene, even a great visual scene that is one of my favorite goofy, silly scenes where he is speaking to the class when he's back at the university and the girls with I love you on her eye. That is so genius. And and I got to tell you, I love it. I love that scene. It's brilliant, more visual brilliance. Yeah. And, And again, a scene that I think gets forgotten about where the music and the lighting and the tone, where he's sitting there yeah. talking to these guys about the history of the art and your heart is racing as he says, and what is that behind him? Thunder, lightning, the power of God. Dun, dun, dun. The first time yep. you hear that, it's so genius. And you can go on and on and on and on and on from yep. the submarine scene to the scene, of course, with the snakes, to the ark itself. To the, I mean, the it plane is, fight, the staff of Ra. Oh, sorry, the fight in front of the plane. The, the, well, wait a minute. The the, the flight, the, the in front of the plane to the plane with the red line on the map. Yep. That's a different way of yep. taking you to the different locations of where it, they are it, and how we see more, nowadays. It's just as simple as oh, you show the thing with Paris nineteen whatever yep. this whatever. He, it's a much more creative transition. Oh, a, a, a method of transition that before without the, CGI, been, yeah, without yeah, been reserved for more uh, cartoons than. Look, and I, I will tell you right now that Raiders was right underneath Last Crusade for me, and and that just for and, me Last Crusade hits a little bit closer to home in terms of the source material and what they're talking. And, about. And then I could okay. understand. Okay. And as a Jewish person, Raiders of the Lost Ark right. for me is like holy cow. And he stands. And, and you may may or may not know this, but my dad, who's a rabbi, you know right. that, but I was going to say my dad, who's a rabbi, talks about the priest's scene that they set up right. with the way they're carrying it and the prayers he's saying. And it is all accurate. Yep. That is all the actual priestly ceremony. I mean, Spielberg yep. did his research on oh, yeah. Kasdan and Lucas and everything, but it is... it. It's just genius. Yeah. It's oh, genius all from the, the first to, moment, yep. from the first shot to the amazing last that's shot. That's what I was just with, about to get I to. mean, yep. it is, it's everything from start to finish in that film. And then he keeps his humor. Yep. Even the scene with the hanger and the Nazi yep. walking with the trench coat and... Like, what is he about to do to us? And he hangs up his coat on that thing. And then he just very casually sits down and starts talking. Even if, even if there is one scene of special effects at the end of the movie that feels like it belongs more in Army of Darkness than it does in uh, Steven Spielberg. The greatest faces melting off the Nazis. But how about the fact that there are 50 (laughs) scenes like that in that film? How about the fact that there are memorable scene after memorable scene after memorable scene, even a scene as simple as throwing the date up into the air, the poisonous date with the fan circulating, the catch and the monkey being at bad dates. Mm -hmm. It's it's genius, genius stuff. I'll I'll do you one even better. The ending where they're sitting there talking and he's like, you know, this is. This is an item that needs to be preserved and everything. Where is it? Yes. He's like, who's it being handled by? And the guy just says, "Top men." Yeah, it, he's, well, like, exactly. he's like, "Top men." The writing, and then the writing, just that warehouse of all yes, of that crap, all of the things, and they seal it up, and they just we and dun 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 dun, and, and oh it is gosh. it's all there, and that's why, Mike. That's why I sit there and I tell you, I love Last Crusade. I think it's great. 
But when this movie, you have to take it in chronological order. You have sure, to take sure. what had ever come out at, at that the moment. Time, right. yeah. Nothing like well, that I, like existed. I, you know, I think we've and I don't think it's. And I got to tell you something. And including last, I don't think it's ever been duplicated. And I don't think it's ever been done as complete. And the biggest thing I and I told you about this. Yeah. Well, you went and saw it with me, right? The kids who did the the the, the I don't the know documentary. The, yeah. Did you ever see Brad? Yeah. Yeah. But did you ever actually see? See, I own it. You guys have to see it. So for those who don't know it. They create. There were these, these kids two kids shot for shot and a group remake. of kids did a shot for shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark from over a six to seven year period over their summers, and it's amazing. And I have the actual movie, not if the you, documentary. I have the actual film. If you bought the yeah, documentary. You got the footage with it. And I challenge everyone. No the, yep. the documentary is called "The Greatest Fan Film Ever Made," oh. and Spielberg is quoted because they got to show it to Spielberg as saying, "This is the greatest flattery and honor that yeah. anyone could have ever done." Oh yeah. The fact that that was done. Yep. By these kids oh, yeah. shows you in itself where this historically the context of this movie holds well, up. My reason for uh, for including Raiders and not Last Crusade for my personal list is because you're an awful person. Yes, well, no, was because it, it, it may seem slightly contradictory to some people, but there were there was a certain element of I mean as many brilliant. Uh, shots and, and as uh, brilliant as the cinematography was in the movie, there were certain shots within the movie that felt a little bit rougher in Raiders compared to uh, right. a lot, Last Crusade, clean, where Last Crusade just felt like, oh, clearly there's been a lot of experiences happening in between. Yeah, They've yes. learned how to smooth out certain transitions, yes. certain uh, how to capture certain bits of action. But for me. <coughs> that slightly more raw feel in Raiders sure. actually makes it more like appropriate for the genre because it feels more no, 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 within yeah. context for the genre that they were paying the serial similar conversation. Look, no, but he stands by it because the last time I was here with you guys, we talked about it and I said one of the reasons for me that I put Army of Darkness mm -hmm. over Evil Dead was my issues with some of the graininess, some of the dark lighting and everything. Right. And your point was, but that was the original. Mm -hmm. That gave right. it some of that. And I think that's it. So it's good. that So it's not contradictory to where you come from on those points right. and, and consistently doing that. And I don't disagree with what he's saying. But I also think that if you look, I think... For you, what you said about Indiana Jones and Last Crusade hitting a personal note with you yeah. has a lot to do with it, just mm -hmm. like Raiders has a lot to do with me. But I also think if you look at the film from start to finish as a complete deal, yeah. I love Last Crusade. I could definitely find a couple scenes that I would cut in that. I would be very hard-pressed to find a scene that I can cut in Raiders. Raiders. And when I look at perfect movies, and we're going to get to something in a moment, I, when I challenge, yeah. I always say that, could I have cut, when I'm really like holding things to the highest yeah, right. standard, can yeah. I find 30 seconds? Can I find two minutes? Can I find, did he really? Yep. It is very hard to cut, cut Raiders. Raiders. It I is agree. very hard to find stuff I would have cut in Raiders. It's oh, difficult. Oh, Incredibly difficult. No. And we didn't even talk about the scene with the knife and all this yeah. sort of thing. And the gun. I mean, there's so many. Oh, no. There's, the, so, there's, there's so much story. The story behind, behind that scene is great. Yeah. That they had gone out drinking the night before. You, you know this? I don't. 
No, it, it wasn't. Uh, just, what, it, it was he was sick. sick. He was sick. He, he, he was so sick uh, that they Harrison were, was sick. They were Harrison supposed was to have this sick with a, it, was, it was like a so hundred and three degree fever or something yeah. like that. Oh he could barely stand up, and so he was supposed to be going in with just the same kind of intricate choreography. Right. And when the actual day of shooting came, I he mean, literally the guy does all of the stuff or whatever, and Harrison just off the top of his head pulls it out, shoots him, and just and that's why he has that look of just so drained and so exhausted. That's he's genius. Got yeah. a guy that's running a fever that's that been doing is, all of this stuff. And as soon as the scene was the done, baskets. they immediately had him rushed back to get medical care. Yeah. And the scenes with the baskets and the I mean, it's just that movie yeah. has so much. Oh, it yeah. has so much. Oh yeah. So uh, it doesn't have a four hundred year old knight. <laughs> Saying it's my least favorite part of that. Movie. But it's got one of the great lines. Uh, it does. It does. You chose, chose poorly. You have chosen <laughs> wisely. No, all of that oh. is great, but it's. I'm sorry. The payoff does not. It's not the Ark of the Covenant being opened. It just isn't. It just it isn't. from the Holy Grail. I know. I know. I so know. our number three pick um, was Jaws. She talks in her sleep. So, uh, I believe, I wasn't Jaws your number one, David? Yes. Yes. So I had it, I think, at number three or number four. Yes, you had yeah. number three. And, and I never, and Mike knows this, in my office, there is a poster of Jaws that my dear friend, Ariel Barreto, hopefully watches, gave to me as a wedding present right. and signed by the whole cast. And the coolest thing about the, why yeah. I love that signed poster by the whole cast. is it's not just signed by the whole cast, it's also signed by John Williams and Peter Benchley, who wrote the, the novel. Yep. Wow. It's my, so don't break in and steal that thing. It's my, one of my most prized possessions. <laughs> wow. I already got dibs on it. Um, but it, does it have Spielberg's signature? Yes. Yeah, it has everyone. Oh, it has everyone. I get it that. Has everyone. That's, that's, that's left to me in the will, right? That's right. <laughs> it has everyone. It, it, wow. So yeah. for me, again, look, this is, I, I don't ever like talking about what is, and, and the funny thing is, is credit to my brother because my friend Ariel, when he asked my brother, he said, look, I know David loves Spielberg. I know it's his favorite director of all time. What movie is his favorite? And my brother said to him, you can't go wrong with what you're talking about. But he says, but I think I'd go with Jaws. And for me, it always goes back to Jaws. And, and this is, I don't sit there and compare. I hate comparing Spielberg movies to each other on what's better or what's not. And kind of, we're not really doing that. We're doing a little bit of that. This is where I stand by with Jaws. First of all, it was his it really is his third film. Mm -hmm. You have Dune, which was made for TV, you have Sugarland Express, and then you have Jaws. Mm -hmm. Once you get into the making of the nightmare that it was, yep. the fact that the man will never again film in water and has never done it again <laughs> because of this movie, the fact that they took such a chance on him, yep. the fact that he had no shark for six months and that he had to basically change what he did and make it work without showing it and it's fearful of what's below you. Mm -hmm. The fact that I got into swimming pools and I was still worried that a shark was going to come and kill me. Forget about being in the ocean. Say, in my swimming pool, I as a kid was scared and terrified that a shark was going to come and get me and that nice. is totally true. So my, real. my dad who grew up in California when the movie came out. Yes. I an absolutely can. In the ocean, that's yep. what... And the fact yep. that again... and, and th So that's the... The aura. That's the right. personality sure. and the music that it's simple that the whole all of Jaws was represented was dun 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 that described to you that the shark was there. That was it. With no never, fin, but you didn't with see, no nothing. You didn't see no, you didn't. You saw the fin about halfway through, then you finally see the shark in the scene where he mm -hmm. gets the guy in the boat and he does that and takes his leg yeah. off, that infamous scene of the leg, and then at the end you finally see it with another thing. But so just going into that mold. 
of that movie. Here's the other thing I would challenge you on. First of all, it's better than the book. If you've ever read the book Jaws, I don't know if you ever have. No. It, it'll throw you for a loop because in the book, uh, Brody's wife uh, has a, a sexual relationship and an affair with Richard Dreyfuss' character, which is nowhere to be found in the book, by the way, in Benchley's thing. And the movie so surpasses Benchley's novel that I loved. That I loved. But here's what I would challenge you to find for me in any other film. If we get away from all of the visual and the technical and all those things, the barrels, that that's the way they use. He turned what had to keep the shark afloat into a suspenseful way of using this. Oh, I try to keep down the barrels and that's how. It's so genius. But here's what I challenge you to do. Find me another film that has three actors. And I don't mean men or women, whatever. Just in any movie, actors where I challenge you to find me who the lead is. You don't. They are all three equally represented. They are all three equally interesting and fascinating characters. And by the end of it, you're not really sure, is Chief Brody the star? Is Hooper the star? And this guy trying to find his way with this guy who's, you know, been been to... Or is Shaw the old Ahab character? Which one of them is really the main actor? And you go to the poster I have, and they are all three equally partnered up on the marquee. That, to me, is so fascinating in Jaws that you have this story. The fact that Spielberg, before he had ever shot anything, had the USS Indianapolis scene scribbled down with them comparing scars to each other. That is nowhere to be found in Benchley's book. Nowhere in Benchley's book. That is his thing. It's genius. That might be the best scene in that entire film. Really? The best scene in the entire film. It could be one of the, the great, great scenes, scenes of all time, them comparing the scars to each other. And he's I had like, that. oh, where, and he's then, like, where'd you get that one? And he says, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's joking about it. Oh, let me guess, mom, the tattoo and the laughter. And the, and they're saying, I'm tired and I want to go to bed. And it's so brilliant. And huh. again, to your points of lighting, Jaws is one of the few movies where Spielberg doesn't have that lighting. Yep. And yep. he doesn't have any of that. Light. It's yep. all natural light, and it shows you this guy is masterful when you go back. And I challenge anyone to go back and watch Jaws today, not be freaked out, not see the brilliance in it. Yep. And it has and it well, stood it? the a test couple, of time. A couple of years ago, they did their AMC, did their... Their uh, their re-release in theaters where they'll do like the limited Tom, film. Yeah, they'll do like a couple day. A couple, right. Yep. Me and my dad went and saw it. It's it's as good it's as incredible. it ever was, and it's not because of any fancy film. No, no. It's, it's the story. It's the music. It's everything. And let's not forget Jaws at the time in many ways, created the summer blockbuster, the popcorn blockbuster. No, not, not in many ways. It did. It did. There was no concept of a uh, summer blockbuster before Jaws. And before I would Jaws. argue that this is just as much a horror movie as it is anything else. It's got a lot of horror in it. Well, so that's actually uh, something very interesting that I had, um, I only recently heard uh, somebody point that out, is... It's very much a horror movie. It was, well, when I used no, to see this in the rental... Spielberg, uh, Spielberg uh, has a lot of his movies that are really more of a horror movie than whatever genre they're actually being billed as. And it, uh, he is proof, and it, I mean, it, it works out pretty consistently, that uh, it is the directors that understand the 
way of telling and showing a horror movie and that kind of story that end up doing well with big blockbuster sets because the set pieces that are necessary for the big blockbuster films, uh, the, the amount of just sheer visual content that you have to juggle to do it um, is the exact same concepts that you have to deal with as a horror director. And most directors that have never dabbled in horror before Mm -hmm. usually have trouble dealing with the blockbusters. But Spielberg, with Jaws being uh, one of the most prominent of his uh, movies, that was a horror movie that turned into a blockbuster. It just goes to set the bar of explanation that, yeah, this is why blockbuster direct or uh, horror directors do so well with blockbusters. That's why Sam Raimi did so well with the Spider-Man movies. Um, And in fact, Spider-Man 2 especially, uh, the amount that you can see uh, in particular in the fight scenes between Spider-Man and Doc Ock very much pull from elements of how he balanced out shots in his other horror movies. And so it just, it, it's the perfect reason why Jaws worked. And when I used to walk through the aisle of Blockbuster Video, Jaws used to be in the horror section. Yeah. It was in the, yep, it was in the horror section. It was not in the action-adventure section. It was in the horror section. And and again, I just... I see it right next to Cujo, easily. There you go. And I go, <laughs> and I always just go, and then again, once you go back and you find out the history of how difficult the set was and yeah. the filming and that they did it and they did it in actual salt water out of Martha's Vineyard, which mm-hmm. is so insane on so many levels to think about of how they were able to do it. it. It's just, yeah, to me, that's why it always comes back to Jaws because that was really yeah. what started the summer blockbuster. Yeah. It's where Spielberg made the name for himself, yeah. where he became the household name mm-hmm. and his career could have gone so many different say, it ways. Was so, after it was so that. over budget. It was so long on production that everybody thought that it was going to ruin. Just like Cameron with Titanic, it just kept getting pushed and pushed. Yeah, right, right. Problem and after such problem a after disaster. problem after problem. Yep. And then you drop it, and it's like, and none of them thought it was going to be a hit. No, none of them. They all thought this was a disaster. And Spielberg thought that was the last movie he's ever going to be given yep. to, to he be just able to it again, be done with it by the end. Oh, hundred oh, yeah. percent. And yeah. so that's why. It, and, and again, I go back to, I, I challenge anyone to go back and watch Jaws now. It is as good as it ever was, and you can show it to anyone. And again, the father-son issues yep. with his son at the table. There's just so much great, yeah. great stuff there. So much great stuff. So our uh, top two. Uh, these are two movies that are going to be really hard for most people to argue with because they are consistently uh, brought up by... Most people, uh, when you see big discussions about Spielberg movies, uh, these two movies are the ones that usually are in the top rankings for him in general. Um, So our number two pick is Saving Private Ryan. Which was my number one. Yes. Which I think this actually, you know, everybody says Schindler's List. This actually, I think, is probably the most important movie that he ever made. Um, Yeah. Just because you didn't really have a movie before this that kind of went through the horrors of what the greatest generation went through and why they earned the name, the greatest generation. Yeah. Like that opening scene on at Normandy where they're just mowing, they're getting mowed over and there's body parts flying and he's talking to the guy on the radio and he's just relay this, relay this. And then he grabs him and the dude's face is just a crater. And it's visually, it's a tough, like I wasn't, I, I 
vividly remember my dad telling me, like, I'm not going to show you this movie till you're older because you won't fully appreciate what it is. Yeah. Um, which I completely understand now. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was the same for me. I, I, I was not allowed to see this uh, when it first came out only because uh, it, there was so much in there that I couldn't fully understand right. at yeah. the time. It wasn't, it wasn't, now I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily the amount of violence or the level of gore that he went to. It was the way he was presenting it as like, this is everything that they went through so that we can, you know, that we were able to get rid of the evil that was on the earth. But more importantly, so that like down the general, you know, down the line, we could sit here and present their story in a way that yep. actually did them justice. Yep. And this is really the first film like, you know, there's there's tons and tons of classic war movies and everything like that. But this is the first film that really took that kind of <clears throat> horrific look at it of like, this was all the awful stuff that they went through. And when you think about it, the story is literally them trying to find one guy so that he can go home. So they're there, they're there obviously for that. And then uh, after D day, they get the story or they get the mission that, Hey, you're going to go find Matt Damon's character because his brothers have died in battle. And that was a thing that they never served together anymore because you don't want all of the family to be wiped out. But more importantly, if you're the last surviving member, you're sent back. And the scene where, like, you know, the mom gets all four telegrams on the same day. Yeah. And then it's the the scene where they're in the office and there's like, she's going to get all four telegrams on the same day. And the and again, focusing on some of those scenes, the 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 mom looks out the window and sees and the, car, the car with the, 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 and she's the doing scene the dishes with the letters yep. where you're hearing the voices, yep. the voice over and over again. And you're all the typewriters are going yep. again. That's Spielberg, the way he shoots it all. Yeah, you were gonna you were gonna say something. Well, so the uh, the thing that I find uh, very very interesting is how many people come back to that opening scene on the beaches of uh, Beach of Normandy. Um, and use that as an example of, uh, see, see, Spielberg uses shaky cam, uh, when the real story behind that is that Spielberg, before making this movie, had seen, um, old, uh, news footage from, the news the, uh, from World War II and specifically from the, the invasion of Normandy and had uh, seen the, the, the way that the camera moved and the uh, the whole visual, the way it was visually captured by that one camera guy that was running through the battlefield would get the shots he needed and then duck for cover so that he didn't get shot and then get back out and do it all over again. And he saw that and saw that over and over again from uh, all throughout the war and was inspired by that and wanted to include that in his movie and Normandy was just the most prevalent. But if you look all throughout the rest of the movie, it's, there. There, it's yep. all throughout there that it feels like the cinematographer, the, the camera that is showing the viewpoint of the movie might as well be for most you've of also the movie, got a, a news, uh, a news photographer coming around with video camera. You've also got that amazing scene where after the battle's over and everything like that, it just, he just has the shot of the water. And it's running back all the blood back and yep. forth off the beach. And I, and I, full disclosure to you guys, I, war movies are not my favorite. I, I appreciate war films. Sure. 
but I've never had a love for war films. And I've watched them as a film buff, as you guys know I am. I, I've seen them. So for me... So no to, Apocalypse Now and no, Tora Tora Tora. No, that's then. what I was going to say. No, I love Tora Tora Tora. Okay. I love... Uh, Apocalypse Now is one of my other favorite war films of all time. Um, the first half of uh, Full Metal Jacket and uh, okay. Goes to Hell. Wow. Uh, but I, I've never... I watch them. I appreciate them. Okay. At times, I guess I've enjoyed them. This, to me, again, I think you have a man who has made the greatest war film yeah. ever, arguably. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that, again, that shows you that he waited. He waited till 1997, Eight. 98, I believe it was. And he comes out with Saving Private Ryan and this is after war movies had been done mm-hmm. and redone and done in nauseam. He, he, he understood that he didn't have not necessarily the appreciation, but the the maturity required to tackle it. Well, again, and it's that word maturity again. Well, and he does it. That was the same thing with the movie that's number one. Exactly, and yeah. he and he 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 waits. And World he wasn't War Two, World movie. War Two war movies have been. I mean, there may not be a war genre more tackled than World War Two. Oh yeah, and he Easy. makes that, and and you sit there and you are like, I get it. Like, I get it. And it's not like it's a movie. It's like you're watching history. And it's like you're there. (laughs) And that is, there's no point in in that first scene where you feel like you're watching a movie. So, on top of that, there's also the characters are so fantastic, too. Oh, the acting. Again, the acting. The 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 characters, the, uh, the viewpoint of the movie... That actually, uh, because of the actors and the characters involved, uh, made the viewpoint of the movie so uh, intriguing. Because you had the movie that, at the very, very beginning, before uh, Normandy, and at the very, very end, was mm. bookended by mm. Private Ryan. And that's, but that's we didn't know of, that's, that's who that the, was. And that's one of the toughest And it immediately like, went for... from Private Ryan to... Uh, thinking that, oh, that must be Tom Hanks' character because he immediately, after that scene, became the viewpoint yep. character of the story. And it wasn't until the very end that Spoilers, it all comes Spoilers. back together and you realize, oh, this whole movie has been interconnected. It has not just been some story that we've been watching. It, we've been that, watching a, a circular process that we just didn't realize until the very end. And now that we do we can see just how well thought out it was, and, both artistically yes. and through just general framing. And a cool little tidbit, which is, I don't know if you guys know this, but when they were shooting this... <sighs> I think you're about to say what I was going go to go About the fact that he kept Damon yep. separate yes. from the rest of the group yes. so that he would specifically for, all, for months, for yeah. months, and, yeah. and had them go through the yeah. training and had them go through the comedy, kept them, and then when they finally see each other, he kept him as an outsider, yep. Yep. which kind of brought it all together. And if you, hopefully you've seen the movie you haven't the you need to of, see it like just contempt and disdain that they have on their faces yes. when they see them yes it's yeah. real it's yeah. real it's real and but again that's the mastery of Spielberg also Vin Diesel probably one of the only good roles he's ever been in also like also Eddie Burns is in this movie Paul Giamatti's in this movie absolutely Ted Danson's in the movie Ted Danson Ted Danson's in the movie Damon 
Uh, no, um, absolutely. And then, uh, and, 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 and Vin Diesel, no. I stick with this and I stick with Boiler Room, and that's all I'll Barry do. Barry Pepper, really. of course. Yeah, Barry Pepper's great in this movie. You get me within a mile of uh, Adolf Hitler Adam with this Adam Goldberg rifle. is great in this movie. Yeah. And, of course, that that's actually one of the things of, uh, in the, that final fight scene of the movie, it specifically the, last hand to hold the, the, bridge, the yeah. sniper scene is considered one of the best fight scenes in war movies yep. in cinematic history and especially it is consistently ranked as one of, if not the best sniper scene in any war film yeah. to date because there is just so much there I mean, yeah, you can go back and say oh, if you just want to talk pure sniper scenes you, you have some stuff out of um Oh crap! Uh, the the movie about Chris Kyle, uh, American, American Sniper, Sniper. American Sniper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are scenes out of that that, as just pure sniper scenes, yeah. I mean, goes so far above and beyond oh, what yeah. you would expect oh, yeah. that should have been able to be conveyed emotionally. But this one scene, uh, I mean, as a whole, it has so much emotional weight to it that you just. You yep. you were like grabbed onto by that scene, and no matter who was involved, it just kept pulling you back. What about what about the scene with the knife? Yes, yeah. that's exactly where I was going. Oh, my oh god, that scene was just so gut wrenching, especially because it went so quiet. Oh my gosh! And that showed you the real yep. horrors of war and what it was, and then that combined with the feeling. I you know you go back to that with the cowardly way that the guy stands there on the stair to. But yep. in the very beginning of it, you always got this image of kids going into battle or people going into battle. They're tough and they're ready and they're oh. going to go conquer the world. And what does he show you? People throwing up in the boat before they hit the beach. People's yep. hands shaking, panicking. Well, the entire movie. Got, Tom Hanks oh, yeah, the Tom Hanks hand. Yep. I mean, they are showing and he it's just you finally got it. And you walk out of there and not only did you respect those who came before us, mm-hmm. you were like, how did anyone not have post-traumatic stress? How did anyone not? How did you ever sleep again? And that scene where he fought in the end where he falls in front of the, you know, tell me I'm a good man. And I remember what I do. Oh, that that one kills me. There's there's three scenes from that movie that always, I think, kind of hit the message perfectly for what he was trying to tell you was that scene at the end. It was the scene where they're sitting there looking through the dog tags with the 101st and all the surviving oh, yes. are walking past them and they're all kind of like, because they're all sitting there joking and screwing yeah, around. Yeah, put that away. And the yeah. kid, yeah, the kid comes and he's like, what the hell are y'all doing? Yep. Yep. And then they sit there and they look over and they realize what's up. And then the scene where they're all basically about to mutiny. Yep. And Tom Hanks is just like, what's the pool on me now? Yeah. I'm a school teacher. Yeah. He's like, I'm yeah. just a school teacher. He's like, I, he's like, I don't know this guy. He's like, but if, if make, he's like, if making sure that this kid gets home safe is what gets me yeah. home to my wife and kids. And it's all. the way Spielberg, yeah. he's just masterful. I well, mean, he's masterful in the way he handles those moments. Yeah. The conversation between uh, Tom Hanks and Matt Damon, um, oh, that last yeah. conversation that they had, that one right there. I mean, that, that whole thing. Where he's talking about the last time that him and his brothers were all together. Yeah. Well, no, no, uh, no, the, no, the no, one no, where uh, on the bridge on the bridge. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where, uh, where Tom Hanks is uh, telling him uh, that he needs to, you know, he, yeah. he 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 needs to live. That he needs to, you know, live for all of them. He just looks at me, says, "Earn this." And, and also, yes, don't leave all, out all the great that, Tom that, Sizemore. That by just, the way, yeah, don't leave out the Tom great Tom Sizemore. What a role he had in that movie. Of course, how amazing was Sizemore? It didn't go so well now and after, but I mean, it was unbelievable. But yeah, that scene where you get back to the cemetery. 
it's the end of the movie, and he's like, I think about those words that you told me on the bridge every day. Yep. Yeah. And then you realize who it is that we're finally seeing the movie. I guess right, the through whose yeah. eyes? Through whose eyes? And, and then he looks at me. Tell me that I'm yeah. a good man. Tell me that I've lived a good life. Yeah. And you're just like, oh. Yeah, and then exactly. the final shot where it just goes up to the flag waving, and then it just fades out to nothing. Yeah, it it, it really it, it changes your perspective on history. Again, like I said, it shows you history. Yeah, and he changes it, and that's powerful. Like sure, I said, Cassie, are we still live? I have no idea. Well, uh, could you check? Because I'm pretty sure my phone may have just died. Sweet. <laughs> um, like like I said, in terms of in terms of movies, I think this is the most important movie that he ever made. With respect. Oh to, yeah everything that happened with the Holocaust and everything like that. But oh, yeah. I feel like this is the movie where we finally had somebody tackle what the greatest generation went through and why they are called the greatest generation. Yeah. Easy. Oh, easy, easy. I agree. So, um, we, we can keep talking. Yeah. So, uh, it's over. It's ended. Do you, you want me to go live? Uh, actually, uh, we'll, we'll just post the rest of this. Uh, nah, later. Screw it. Um, we're good. Anyway. So, uh, our number one, Movie on the list. Oh my gosh. Uh, Schindler's List. Literally, number one on the list. Yep. Schindler's List. Makes sense. Th- this was. I don't know if there is a movie that he has done that has emotionally wrecked s- more people than this movie. <laughs> I think I think Schindler's List is one that is just. If you get to the end of it, and you don't feel personally, emotionally destroyed. You're an awful human being. You, 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 you sorry, are a horrible person. There, there's just something about you that is. Wait, wrong. I'm not sorry. No, I'm not sorry. You're a terrible person if you don't feel anything after watching this movie. Yeah, this was the first film that I ever recall. I'll never forget it. I went with my older sister when it came out. So you're talking '93. Mm-hmm. Yep. However old I am at that point, I don't even want to go into that. And a young sprite. It, I'm at a, I'm woman. at North Park in the original North Park one and two theaters, oh, and wow. it's packed, packed. And the movie ends, and the credits roll, and people even sure silence. Yep. People even silence. And I that was my first experience in a movie of walking out. And no one saying a word. I watched walking it. Out I was about to say, I watched it at home one night. I think we talked about. It. I think we were texting back and forth, and it was it was late, dude. Like I started the movie at like eleven o'clock at night, and you were like, "You're not gonna sleep tonight." Yeah, he had never seen it before. How crazy is that? Like, like, like David he did not, started at. He, I gave him yeah. my copy. Dear I Lord. gave him. My, it was my DVD. Dear he had never Lord, seen the movie man. before. And so David's like, "Yeah," he's like, "You're not gonna sleep tonight." And I was like, "Oh, come on, man." He's like, "No." He's like. Trust me, you're not going to sleep tonight. And we get to, because I think, if I remember right, it was two discs, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's two discs. Yeah. So yeah. I, get through, I get through the first one, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, do I want to finish this right now? Like, and then I kind of was like, no, like, I... You need to. I need to. Yeah. So I pop it in the... That, that's not a movie that you start and stop and come back dude, to. Like, I got to the end, and I was just like... <laughs> like, I, I didn't know how to react. Like, I'm literally just kind of sitting there on my couch, just like... Like well, the I, way he like, ended it, uh, showing the uh, actual survivors. survivors. Yep. I mean that. Ah, now this is so. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. He shows the actual survivors with their counterparts and all of the people he saved. As we get into some of this stuff, and by the way, that is where, as we can talk more, his choice of going black and white, right, which mm-hmm. changes that movie forever. Because if that movie up. is in color, right, it is not. The same impact. We've talked film. about this. There's, it's the color red, 
Yes. He shows you it's always candles. Envelopes. Right. The candlelight is always colored because that's the eternal and, light. And the color red was specifically the girl the with the red dress. Correct. Well, and there wasn't there a there was the and blood blood and, and then, he shows the blood on her red jacket. Right. Is red. That's the only thing that he shows in it. And again, he makes a conscious decision to go black and white right. with it. Mm-hmm. And the first scene is in color, and it's. It's a family mm-hmm. lighting the Shabbat candles mm-hmm. on the Sabbath, the two candles, and they light it, and as, and they disappear. Right. And all that's left is a shot of candles, and the candles fizzle out, and it becomes the smoke of the train, right. of a transportation train. And there are so many, and I was going to get back to what you are saying at the ending, but we'll stick with that for a minute, and we'll get to that. There are so many moments. You talk about not just, obviously, the Holocaust and the dramatic aspect of that and feeling what you feel emotionally for this film. Right. But talk about the camera shots. Yep. Talk about the the moments of the typing, both of the names oh. and then later on the typing of the list. Talk about the incredible lighting in a black and white movie yep. of yep. the different... The fact that the blood is so much more impactful in black and white than it is in red and gore that we talk about that other movies use. And just, and so many shots of it's one shot stuff with this guy. Mm -hmm. And especially of you talk about the little girl in the red dress. And when Liam Neeson is watching from a distance on a hill on a horse as she's going through and they're showing the liquidation of the ghetto and you're just following her and you are just clinging and jumping out of yourself. Oh my God, is she going to make it as people are getting shot all around her and going through this in this red dress. There are so many moments, even to the point in the opening shots where they're showing you Liam Neeson getting dressed Mm -hmm. and he's the buttons and yeah. how he's putting on his clothes, and it's showing you, and he puts the little Nazi, Nazi pin, pin on it. There is so much stuff yeah. there. And again, you talk about careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. Ray Vines. Can you ever watch Ray Vines, who is so evil, and nobody knew ben who Kingsley. this guy was? Ben Kingsley. So Ben Kingsley's a known actor in it. Right. He uses... A bunch of no names. He uses real people from Poland Mm -hmm. and Germany. And that's what he fills his crew with and his cast. And he's not casting big name people aside from Ben Kingsley. What a risk. Like, you're going to make a Holocaust movie. You're going to have this character that nobody really knows about outside of the Jewish world and community and Oscar Schindler. And you're going to tell this story with some actor named Liam Neeson, who at that point, probably the biggest thing he had been known for was uh, he did the film, um, oh my gosh, in the 80s. Now my mind is uh, is is going crazy. What was, uh, he did Dark Man. I was about to say, it wasn't Dark He did Man Dark that? Man, and he did another movie in the 80s that I'm forgetting now that was so forget, like nobody even remembers. He was a nobody. Yeah. Ray Fiennes was a nobody other than stage and, you know, doing things. Yeah. What, a, what, a, what a risk. Yeah. Well, his, what a chance. His use of shadows to oh. be able to emphasize. Shadows and light. Yeah. Eyes. Yeah. The, the way that he was able to emphasize, especially Liam Neeson's eyes, to be able to show uh, more intensity with uh, certain things that uh, he, he wanted to uh, push. The uh, what? What movie? 
He was in, as we go there, let me just look. Yeah, no, he wasn't anything in that. And then I was just, no, 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 go a little later, a little later, a little later. What was he in? Wait, I just saw it a second ago. Hold on. Deadpool. Oh, my gosh. He was in the mission. Mm. He was in the mission okay. with De Niro then in a okay. role that was a little bit bigger than what he normally had. Right. But that was what I'm talking about. Yeah. Who knew Liam Neeson? But, yeah, no, the, the, the ability to be able to use... Uh, High contrast shadows and light to be able to emphasize his eyes in particular to be able to uh, put a little bit more intensity for his uh, an original introduction for the time of um, when uh, the the girl came to try to beg for her yeah. parents to be able to come yes. work at the factory. Yes. Uh, whenever any kind of intense emotional piece came up for him where his loyalty was going to be tested. Uh, Spielberg's use of shadows and light to be able to point out the conflict that his character was feeling um, and kind of slightly hide his true intentions was just so brilliant. Mm -hmm. And it it, it made you kind of start, uh, the way that he consistently framed him made you always have to pull back and go, wait, 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 wait. Is he the good guy though? Yeah. I mean, what, what womanizing? Is, is, is he the good guy? I mean, what, yeah. what, 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 what's he actually doing here? Right. And it's not until like you get to the very end that you start to realize, oh, oh, yeah. so then all the, oh, but when you get to what's really going on, and what about, and really what about yeah. possibly the most here, here to me. And again, I didn't put Schindler's List as one. I tell you, I don't like putting anything on one. I had Jaws as my one when you sure. guys made me do the list. But I will say this. All three of us actually had it as number two. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> any any, any one out there, if you haven't seen Schindler's List, I apologize in advance and I'm going to give this away. But anyone who's seen it, I challenge you to find me. He plays the audience in possibly one of the greatest sleight of hand maneuvers I've ever seen in my life of any film, which is they go to Auschwitz. He shows the scenes of them going into the gas chambers. Yeah. And everybody and their mother and their grandmother and the world thinks this is the moment that Spielberg is going to tackle the gas chamber. And he shows you everything to the moment. This is it. This is what they experience. This is it. He puts you there again in history. And the water comes on through the faucets and they had, they'd had that story where they're talking about in the bunkers and this is what they heard happen. And he plays you Mm -hmm. and you have a rush of probably (gasps) like, Oh my God. And they have a rush of joy and you're probably happy. And then he comes out and he shows you the other group going down yep. with back into the smoke of the chimney, and he never shows you. But you know what they're going to. But yeah. you now know, and it is so... I don't know if any other director can pull it off. Mm-hmm. I don't know how in the world... He shows you without showing you. Yep. He throws you in that surprising moment at that time, and then he leads you back, which goes back to the ending of what you're going to talk about. So talk about the ending of what he portrays, and I'm going to give you a fascinating little thing about the end of Schindler's List. And see uh, the, if you catch it off. Part or the after? You say, and the, the, ending, the ending of the movie, what does he show people. you? What is the ending of the movie? So he shows the survivors of 
that Oscar Schindler actually pulled out from uh, Auschwitz and uh, and all those actors, years the camps and everything yeah, yeah. Uh, the the ones that were still alive and the actors that portrayed them uh, some of the family members especially the family members if they weren't uh, actually able to uh, be there themselves so yeah ah but is that really the end of the movie something just clicked yeah is that the end of the movie it's not the end of the movie. What is the actual last thing you see, Brad, at the, or Mike, at the end of Schindler's List? And this is where a lot of people miss it because they sit there and that last scene they remember is they're putting the stone on his on the- grave and you see his shadow and you see his, that, you know, that, that look. But what does he then do? What does Spielberg come back to? And I always point out to people and I say, here is the genius of Spielberg. And you have to catch and you have to realize it. What then does he go to? Anybody know? Anybody remember? Yeah. He goes to the credits. And what is the credits over? The credits are over the broken Jewish tombstones and graveyards Mm, of the cemetery. Yeah that he now has with rain and you hear the thunder and the lightning. And it's the idea. Don't lose track of what it's all about, which is in memory of the 6 million and all of the others who died. That even with that moment of Schindler and he makes it about saving it, he comes back. He doesn't let the audience off the hook. Mm -hmm. He doesn't let, and I've always challenged that to people who try to save for years and years Spielberg always likes the happy ending. Mm. Spielberg always likes the Hollywood ending. I say, time out. Time out. Schindler's List is that example of the guy who could have ended it with all the hope and all of this and all that. And he goes back to that to force you. And what does he do? Similar in Private Ryan. It's the cemetery. It's the flag then in the end of going, what does this all really stand for? And what is it all? He does that as well as anyone out there. And even the man in his credits who does it over and over again still has something to send you with the message yeah, mm-hmm. of what's going on. I find that fascinating. It's hard. It's, it's hard to argue. Oh, sure. But the one thing I give to Schindler's is that I've said to anybody, I have watched that movie for years and years and years, and I've watched that movie so many times. It's almost like I'm a sadist or something. But I've watched it from a... From a film buff, loves Spielberg's mentality. And when that movie's on, it's very hard for me not to sit there and continue to watch it. From whatever scene it's in, as hard as it is. But I have tried desperately. I cannot find what I would cut. Sure. I have struggled with it. It's three hours long. I have struggled with it. Could maybe, my brother and I have had very heated arguments about the scene where they're like, oh, what's over there? And there's a village or there's somewhere and they show them walking down and they're playing this old Israeli song and my brother always goes, oh God, this is like for our boogies and like for the great... And I say, no, it's very important that he shows that and what's going on and then it it, it translates into the survivors and all the generations and ages, but where do you cut? Sure. What do you cut in that movie? I don't know what you could. There's a reason why it's the length it is. And not because it's a Holocaust movie. Like, I, I want to make that very clear. I think what gets lost in Schindler's List is people want to say, oh, you guys think that because it's a Holocaust. And David, you're Jewish and you're supposed to have some. It's not that. No, there have been tons of Holocaust movies made. And none of them, let me tell you, I can show you bad Holocaust movies made where I would cut it. And yeah. it's like, you just can't. No, You it's, can't. It's very much 
like you said, it, there's there's not anything that realistically you can look at and be like, this movie would have been better if this wasn't in here. Right. Exactly. There's I I can't think of anything. And it's not just a movie about the Holocaust. No. You know, people say it's a Holocaust movie. It's also a movie about a man who's not such a wonderful role model and a good guy who's really interested in wealth and power and making money and doesn't really care all that much. And you're not really sure what moral compass he has well, like, and you even start that for most movie. of yeah. the movie. You, I'm about to say, as he's bringing all these people to work in this factory, you're like, oh, he's just... He doesn't care about them no. and then for the first get, half of that movie. No. He doesn't care at all. And you get to that scene at the end where they give him the ring and it's like, to save one life is to save the world or whatever. And he... Drops it, shaking his hand. And again, what is that great scene? Again, so Spielberg, Spielberg ass. He's wearing the prison outfit. Mm-hmm. He's in the car, and the reflection is all of the faces. Yep. Yeah, in the again, pure Spielberg. Well, Spielberg like, is then, best. And then, like, you get to that end scene too, where he just kind of looks at him and he just kind of whispers, "I could have done more." Oh, he just falls apart. Done more. And you just he's sit like, there, and, and then he's like, "The car, I could have sold the car, and that would yeah, have been that would have been and ten he, more people." And he yeah. takes the pen, and he's like, "The pen would have been one person." Well, and how can you? And I've always argued, and he's on a lot of those lists. I, he make Ray Fines. Yeah. You hate Ray Fiennes forever. Oh my god! And I love Ray Fiennes and hate him forever. And it's very hard, still to this day, for me to watch Ray Fiennes and not think about Iman Goth yep. and that character. And what does that say? Yep. And do you ever look at Liam Neeson honestly and still not see a little bit of Oscar Schindler? Mm-hmm. Like I see it. Yep. Like it's crazy. It's crazy when the, that a movie does that to you. But again, you talk about the casting. Yep. I mean, where that's, is that movie without he, those selections? Say, that's one thing that he always knocks out of the park is the casting. Yeah. And where do you see, and, and again, and editing in that movie, Michael Kahn, yep. who edits all of Spielberg movies. I don't know how that guy did it. I don't know where in the world he began. That has to be one of the hardest films ever in the history of films to edit that yep. down. How do you edit that movie? And you'll say, oh, he got it to three hours. Yeah, but he did it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's just it. Like, it's. I like I just said a minute like I don't think there's realistically any scene that I could chop down or even right. take out. And I'm not gonna hijack the pod, guys, oh, by yeah. the way. I'm not gonna hijack the pod, but I do wanna hear Brad. I am gonna put you both on the spot. Continue. I'm not, I'm We're not done gonna hijack. I'm not gonna hijack this. We've gone so far over. But you know what? In fairness to Spielberg, <laughs> oh, he would be proud. What time is it? It's eight twenty five. How Jeez. nuts is that? But Spielberg would be very yeah, proud of all of us. <laughs> Spielberg so. would be proud. But I am going to hijack the pod and just say the following. Mike, I want to hear, do you believe he's the greatest director of all time? Absolutely. You do? Absolutely. I don't think there's a question. Whoa. I have no, never I heard that out of Mike. And Brad? Oh, absolutely. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Okay. So that I did not know that that's the way you guys felt. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. He, is, he makes... I need a group hug. I need a group hug because that right there brings a smile to my face. And I, I, I'm, I'm so glad to see that even in, as the generations continue, that that man has had that impact. That oh, makes absolutely. me proud. Absolutely. So um, we'll just leave out always. <laughs> and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, uh, yes. 1941. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think at this point we have gone so much ad nauseum about everything we possibly can for yeah. Spielberg. Um, I'm actually surprised that this one camera has finally uh, made it to the end Don't jinx when the other one didn't. Uh, 
Spielberg, yeah. do we need to do like a cool like thing on the way right, out? Let's do it again. Let's like, do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. That was take one. Yeah. Fifty more. Sorry, what's even? <laughs> talk, talk, talk about uh, pushing the battery life on these things. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yes, uh, if you were watching the live stream and it just died, sorry, because um, my phone did not last as long as the camera. So and who wasn't charging their phone today? Oh no, it was charged fully. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with that, very much Spielberg like of what we've done. Here. Yeah, <laughs> point that out. If there was one director you were going to do this with, it was yeah, no, kidding. So anyway, um, so this will be the last time we ever do one of these ever because dear God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those are our I top. Ha- t- you really, I didn't have a beard when we started this. <laughs> I lose hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that, those are top ten for uh, Steven Spielberg uh, and so much more. Now next week um, we'll be doing ten through twenty. And then, uh, you could. Yeah. Uh, Let's just make this a year long thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if you are a fan of Steven Spielberg and have some thoughts that we haven't already just spewed out in, during all of this, which you don't because we're better than you, <laughs> uh, definitely tell us about it in the comments. Let us know uh, all about. What your thoughts on Steven Spielberg are? What are you, what's your favorite movie of his? Why is it your favorite movie? Uh, just please uh, tell us all about it, and we would love to talk to you uh, some more. So we would, yes, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, until next time. This is Brad and Mike and David. David, the Last Call podcast, by the way. Oh yeah, plug the your Last podcast, Call David. podcast. Check it out. You can yes. see it on iTunes. All that stuff, it's good stuff. Sports, Brad, Mike will be back on, don't worry. Maybe Brad will check it out. And we do talk pop culture and movies and docs and things like that. But guys, it's been an honor. We've gone way over time. Mostly my fault. I'm very, you know, I have a lot of hot air. Your wife's going to stab you, you know that, right? Oh, without a doubt. This was my last uh, broadcast. It was good to see you all. But uh, (laughs) no, but it was an honor. And they're really doing an amazing job. Tune in, subscribe to them, pay attention. They're doing great stuff. I'm very impressed. And uh, I'll continue to plug it on my pod because they're worth listening to. I like these guys a lot. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, uh, until next time, uh, this is Brad and Mike from Dallas Geek saying, see ya.